Hello, everyone. This is Chris Calvert, and today I am taking you into corporate America. So you'll notice that I am being very specific with my words and very corporate-like. So you'll get a sense of why that is. Today, I'm talking to Ariane Langsam, who is the Vice President of Consumer Marketing at Pilot Pen. And she has a very official sounding job at a very like official <laughs> sounding uh, title. So if you're in business school right now and you're hearing this, you're probably like getting your resume all polished up to have it you know, lead to something exactly like what she does. But what's cool about Ariane is a thousand things. Um, my, my corporate Sally friend is, I have known her since college. We went to the Johns Hopkins University together and Ariane was a biology major in college. So you might be wondering, as was I, how do you get from being a biology major at a very science-based university to being the vice president of consumer marketing for a pen company? <laughs> that sounds just really, those dots didn't line up for me. And she fills it all in for us in a really super cool way. But what's interesting about Ariane is also kind of the story about why I wanted to talk to her. She will call me. I live in Los Angeles and she will call me and say, hey, Chris, I'm going to be in LA and we should get together. And you know, I'm going to be here this day. Or I'm going to be here that day. I have this award show to go. Maybe I can get you a ticket. And I am like, what are you talking about? You work for a pen company in Florida like in Ponte Vedra, Florida, she's based out of there. And you're calling me saying that you're going to, uh, you know, an award show in LA. And then you look on her Instagram, and she's going to Japan, and she's going to New York City. And she has all these super glam shots, and she's doing hair and makeup with people. I mean, she flies with people doing her hair and makeup. I mean, it's like nuts, right? So I'm really wondering what it is that she does, because I think that a marketing director sits around and looks at numbers and, you know, you kind of like put together a marketing plan and you have meetings and you're doing PowerPoints and you're up there presenting in front of your team and blah, 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 right? Which is all very interesting because I love this stuff too, but that's not all that there is. And so I want to like really set the stage here that I did this interview with Ariane at the Viceroy L'Hermitage, if my French skills don't escape me right now, the Viceroy L'Hermitage in Beverly Hills, right there on Burton Way. And we were sitting in this fabulous suite with like a dining room table, a full living room, you know, the whole a separate bedroom, a little kitchenette. I mean, like the works, right? So we're up there and I'm like getting ready to do this talk, wondering, why Why are we even here? Like, why is she even here? How does she even get to stay here? Like, what is this all about? So she was, in fact, there for one of these award shows and doing some of the marketing and making sure that all these fabulous celebrities, I think this is what it is, know about Pilot Pen. And I'm sure you all know about Pilot Pen. You're probably writing with one right now. Um, but she just, just does a lot of really cool stuff. And the thing that you'll f really get when you listen to this is that this is a person who is going to win. This is a winner. She is going to get the job done. She's going to figure out how to do it. She's going to, you know, guns a blazing. But then through the progression of her career, what is really cool about her experience is the emphasis she places on being coachable and taking the, the mentorship that's offered to you as you go along and learning the skills that you need to to really become a class A leader, which is where she is now. I mean, she's in a, p a level of position now where she is set up to 
go the CEO route when and if that you know opportunity might become available, she would be positioned to do something like that. I hope she doesn't mind me saying that because I fully see her as a CEO. So if you're someone who is uh, kind of hard driving, should I say, like just a go getter. I think of her as a, a wonder woman, the way that she lives her life and certainly the way that she pursues her career. She's just very tenacious, tenacious and super incredibly brilliant. She is really bright. So if you're that person, this is a good thing to listen to. And if you're someone who likes marketing, likes ads, you would think you might want to work in an ad agency. This is kind of a cool thing too, because it's interesting to see how the people like Ariane who are on the other side of that, who choose their ad agency, who choose who they want to work with, who, you know, bring that business to you. You might want to be on the other side of being the person to choose rather than the person like fighting for the business. So this would be one way to do it. But she'll just give a whole bunch of really good advice in here. And she comes from a background also of having been a, sci- a would-be scientist into a business career and getting an MBA and talks about that whole experience of transitioning over and really understanding yourself and then being able to use that, but also being lost, going to business school, not knowing really anything. And that's just a really interesting conversation. So here we go. Get ready because you are about to listen to a really, really bright, fascinating woman talk about her work in a way that is passionate and fiery, and you are going to love this. So listen up. Here we are with R.E.M. Langs. Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman. All the world is waiting for you and the power you possess. Okay, so here I am. I'm so excited because I am with the absolutely beautiful and fabulous and very fascinating and intelligent Ariane Langsam, who has a pretty interesting job and an even more interesting career path. So we're going to talk a little bit about that today and see what she has to say for um, for all of us. So why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are now and what your role is now for work. And then we'll delve into a little bit about how you got there and the choices that you made and some of the great advice you had along the way and what you would say to other people. So what are you doing now? Okay. So what am I doing now? Um, a little bit of everything, uh, but I am the vice president of marketing at Pilot Pen, and it is a Japanese company. We're a wholly owned subsidiary um, located in the U S and we, um, we sell some pretty amazing quality pens. And what I do is all of the consumer marketing. So I do all of the advertising, all of the PR, all of the market research, all of the product lifecycle management from what we're launching that's new, what's currently in the market, and then what we're going to be taking out of the market. And then I also work on strategy across our key accounts. So it's a lot of fun stuff. It's a big role, though. It's right? a big role. It's a big role. So, do you have a you have a big team that works with you, or how like how many people work with you to do mm-hmm. all that? Oh, I actually forgot. As part of, I also manage all of creative services. So, Simple. yeah, just a few things. Yeah. So, I think I have about sixteen or seventeen people reporting into me with um, a couple of external agencies, but uh, have a lot of great people. Uh, there's a lot to get done. There's there are no redundancies on the team. Each person Amazing. does something very distinct, and they're responsible for 
things pretty much start to finish with my help. So I've got a great team, and um, it's it's exciting. We get to work on all of the key consumer touch points, and we get to um, create things that weren't there before, change the market. And the nice thing is, from a marketing standpoint, we set the tone in a lot of areas. So for a smaller company, um, we are number one in specific categories, number two overall in pens. Um, it's nice when other companies follow what you're doing. Oh, absolutely. It's like the biggest compliment, right? I've, I've had marketing ideas stolen and it's it's really flattering actually it is once you get past the initial i can't believe they just did that right. it is very flattering yeah. it's the highest form of flattery but um yeah it, it does so give pilot you pens though you said it's a smaller size company or medium size company what's the market cap of a uh, of pilot pens like how big are they are they private are they uh, we are publicly traded on the nikkei we're over a billion dollars worldwide um and in the u.s we rank number two so but okay, so the numbers are only released at the aggregate but in level. terms of level so people can understand from a responsibility segment for you it's a pretty significant role that you have and a pretty significant exposure that you have around the world for for what you do absolutely um yeah we're one of the largest subsidiaries um for a pilot corporation uh, which is headquartered in japan and you know we do make the number one selling gel ink pen the number one selling rolling ball pen the number one selling erasable pen oh, yeah. so in the categories that we play in we're number one we just don't play in every single category we know what we're good at and that's what we stick to right which which is excellent actually that you could um have that uh, you know the opportunity just to really focus in on what you're good at, and I think everyone knows Pilot Pen. If you say that, you know everyone will have used one or mm -hmm. ten or has one in their car, in their purse, or everything. It's like a, a ubiquitous brand, at least for here in the U.S. and 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 worldwide too. But the interesting thing is, um, if you look at the way the U.S. Uh, market separates out, about 50% of people don't care about what they write with at all. They have mm -hmm. a pen, they might have gotten it from a bank, they have absolutely no idea where it came from. The other 50% do care. Of that, about half of them are pretty engaged in what they write with. Really? And that's who we appeal to. So like 25% of the people mm -hmm. using pens are aficionados. Exactly. And about 50% of them have absolutely, like, they are um, either price driven or just completely um, just unengaged users. Right. But yeah, but the 25%, they really care. And then within that, there are a lot of really interesting psychographics. And we use that for marketing our different pen types. So as we're talking about this, one of the things I think would be really important for people to understand is how did you get here and what is your background and what mm -hmm. things do you love and what did you love to study? And when you were little, I'm sure you weren't sitting on the playground saying, oh, you know what I want to do when I'm older and you want to be a firefighter and you want to be, uh, you know, congresswoman and I want to be the VP at Pilot Pen. You, so. don't, you don't think I was sitting on the playground? Well, someday I will sell pens. Well, you did it, right? Um, so congratulations, right? So I, let's say that you it, did. Okay. Because it, then it, like, dreams to come it true, would, right? It, it would be a nice story. If only <laughs> if only it had gone in that straight of a path. Probably not exactly. Yeah, so not tell us exactly. how it went. Well, as you know, we went to Johns Hopkins we together. We did, yeah. And when we met, I was a biology and writing seminars major. And I was pretty... Sure, I wanted to be a and doctor. Tell everyone what writing seminars uh, is writing because seminars, I think if you didn't go to college with us, you might not get what okay. that is. Writing seminars was I was going to write short stories or poetry. So basically, I was a short story poetry writing 
doctor. That was kind of my future. That's what I was okay. going to Let's do. Let's stick I with would... the doctor part because I see John in that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and that was kind of the thing. I was like, yeah, that'll be more my hobby, but the doctor thing is, or scientist was what was Absolutely, going to kind right? of, um, you know, pay the bills and change the world and, and really make a difference. And, you know, I finished with a, a degree in biology and um, German literature which was, we'll go into that later okay, if you'd like. Perfect. Um, and, uh, you know, went to graduate school and uh, for neuroscience. And I finished a MS in neuroscience and psychoneuroimmunology. And that seemed like that was on the pretty straight path from where I started. And about um, halfway through that, I realized that although I loved a lot about science, it was too solitary. Um, love the problem-solving aspects of it, but the day-to-day really wasn't a good fit. Okay, t- while we're here, just tell us a little bit about that. Because how did you uncover that uh, that that was a too solitary of a you know of a field for you? And how did you even come to that conclusion? Well, at, at Johns Hopkins, I um, worked in a number of labs, and there was great funding and great collaboration, mm. and it was just this wonderful environment to be in. And you know, I actually was able to work in the uh, lab of a Nobel laureate, um, amazing, which was incredible. And then I decided what I wanted to study was psychoneuroimmunology, which was the way that the brain and the immune system interacted. And what I ultimately wanted to do was figure out a way to make vaccines more efficacious, to improve the lives of the elderly as people were getting older and older. It just seemed like this was going to be something that I could do and make a difference. And I was super excited about it. But once I got to graduate school, just the day-to-day demands, the fact that um, University of Rochester is a great school, mm-hmm. but just had a different tone, and um, it, was just, it was just very different than Hopkins. And when you're doing something day-to-day, as opposed to a little bit of time when you're in school, when you're in college, it just, it, when, when I woke up in the morning, I wasn't thinking, wow, it's, this is great, I get to do this again. When I woke up in the morning, it was more... Wow! All right, I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna go do this. Go to the grind. Yeah, and um, you know, as time went on, I love being a TA. I love the teaching aspects. It was just the day to day being in the lab where I realized that wasn't necessarily the best fit. I had some great advisors at um, University of Rochester. Took a little time off. Took about a year off. Um, ran a clinical study for Amgen. And um, during that time, was trying to figure out if I what I wanted to do next. And what I ended up doing was applying to business school. And okay, hold on. <laughs> okay, so the expectation when you're a biology major at Johns Hopkins, the Johns Hopkins the University, the Johns Hopkins University, I will clarify that the Johns Hopkins University, which is obviously one of the preeminent you know medical schools in the country. And so you're doing your biology there. The expectation is you're going to get your master's. You're going to become a scientist. I was in a PhD program. So, so full, um, on I, full on scientist. Full on scientist. I actually uh, graduated with a terminal master's. Terminal master's isn't the most, doesn't sound very positive. Mm-hmm. But um, what I did is after three years, I completed my master's degree work and then um, cut out. Cut out. Okay. the program. Okay. And so now pick up then how that okay. then goes to the next, yeah. the next so, spot. So what I did is I... Um, you know, went and backpacked around Europe a little bit to clear my head, um, applied for a number of jobs. How old are you at this point now? At that point, let's see. So that I would have been 22, 23 years of age. Oh, really young. Really young. Okay. Probably 23, I would Mm -hmm. think. I graduated college early. Yep. Sounds great. Um, So yeah, so it took a little time and then ended up taking a job with Amgen running a clinical trial for a drug um, for Lou Gehrig's disease. Or, I mean, not not running the whole study, obviously, but running the more um, tactical aspects for them. And um, this was a clinical trial, so there were patients that were on placebo, there were patients that were actually on um, the medication itself. And what um, I realized during that period of time, I did think maybe I should go to medical school. 
you know, of course, having gone to the Johns Hopkins University. Absolutely. Everyone is, thinks you should go to medical school. <laughs> of course. And especially, right. you know, having a Jewish mother. You I know, was just going to say, what were your parents telling you? Because that's an age when your parents have a lot of influence in that space also, yeah, right? They do have a lot of influence. They do... Um, you really do take their opinions and their thoughts about what the best future for you would be into account. Absolutely. So uh, through working on this clinical trial and seeing people who Lou Gehrig's disease can be pretty devastating, incredibly and devastating. Mm-hmm. And see, can you just give us uh, maybe everyone doesn't know what Lou Gehrig's, uh, Lou Gehrig's disease? disease so just um, give us a rundown and, and you yeah, know what happens. Sure. To the um, Lou Gehrig's disease is also known as ALS, which is a um, what is it? Amyotrophic lateral, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis. And what it does is it causes the nerves, uh, the peripheral nerves to stop working. Um, some people it's the peripheral nerves. So it's either, it can start in your mouth, um, and in your head, or it can start in your hands and your feet. And basically things, the electrical impulses stop getting where they need to go. And you think of like Christopher Reeves, it, you know, people like, you know, um, I'm thinking who else would be kind of um, famous that, that let's say, people would have an idea, right? So that, yeah, obviously Lou Gehrig's, uh, Lou Gehrig, I'm trying to think of some other good examples. But just Um, to give you an idea, because what I'm thinking of is as you're in that study, it's not a happy study. No, it's not a happy study. And people are very much in this clinical trial because they want to get a medication that will help them live yeah, and be there for their families. Right. Um, and also what it does is ultimately your nerves don't work. So you're able to eventually neither move nor speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's a pretty, it's completely devastating and very tragic disease, which obviously clinical studies are how we're going to figure these things out. But, um, it was, but did you know all that when you started this, this study though, too, because you think about that, that's another aspect of, of work, right? That you want to think about what kind of environment you want to be in and what kind of environment you're comfortable in. Some people, I know it's just, it's a study for you. You're not going to be into a critical care nurse, but some people can be in those environments and not come home with the weight of the world on their shoulders. And some people cannot. So how did you evaluate if you could even do it? Well, you know, I think um, ignorance is bliss. Yeah, when, when I, you're young, that's a good point. Yeah. When, when I took the job, I thought, wow, this is great. This is the way I can figure out, you know, uh, if I, I'll figure out what I'm going to be like in medical school and as a clinician because I'm going to be working with real patients and, you know, and it's a good way to put your put your toe in the water or get your foot in the door and, mm-hmm. and just sort of experience this and see how I really function in a clinical situation. The last time I worked in any environment like that, I was a candy striper. Right. You know, and where I <laughs> yeah. was delivering flowers and making milkshakes and sometimes exploding the milkshakes on the <laughs> ceiling in the coffee shop. That's another story. Yeah, that probably didn't help you. In no, not, not so much. It wasn't Except on the career maybe, path. Yeah, no Baskin Robbins. <laughs> exactly. Not allowed. Not allowed. But yeah, it was not allowed back in there, but we'll, we'll talk about that <laughs> later. Um, so I really thought this would be a good way to see to experience what it was like to be a clinician. And I also liked that there was a science part because it was a, a clinical trial. So to me, this was a great hybrid. And I was thinking maybe I, maybe it would be an MD, PhD, or I didn't know, but I just wanted to make sure that I looked at all aspects before I made a decision. And I don't think I realized I'm a very emotional person. Um, you know, if you do all those platitudes, like I wear my heart on my sleeve mm-hmm. or, you know, I show all my cards or whatever that happens to be, you know, I was making, um, mixtapes for the different patients based on oh, what they said they're musical. Yeah. Like I got very, very emotionally involved. Yes. And there was one person in the study and um, you could tell people who are on placebo versus the actual drug because people who are on the drug would have injection site reactions. People on the placebo did not. And this is what I was tracking as part of my role, um, you know, and sending samples back to, to uh, the, the, stu- the company that was running the study. And uh, there was this, 
man who was very young, you know, two small children. He was working on his business degree part-time at Rock University of Rochester Simon School, where I actually ultimately ended up going. Um, we talked a lot about business school and his goals, and um, I realized that he was on placebo. And he had pretty rapidly progressing ALS. And it was very difficult for me. Like, I was just like, do I unblind the study? And, you know, I, I'm like, I can't do that. Like, just the moral dilemma that I experienced, the emotional, um, even now just thinking about it, it's very emotional for me. Um, I kind of realized that this was not a good fit. Like, everything that, you know, and the reason I wanted to be a scientist initially was because I thought it was... I thought being a clinician and how emotional, you know, emotional I am, that it'd be better to be a scientist because it was a, you could still add a lot of value, Completely. but you didn't have to go through those very, that, those very difficult arcs and, and be in the front line with people who could die. Right. And that was something that I didn't necessarily think was a good fit initially. Then I revisited it through this clinical study and I realized, wow, I was right the first time. But um, there were a lot of things that I liked about science. So I wasn't exactly sure where to go. And the funny thing is this individual who was on placebo was going to business school part-time at the Simon school. And we talked about business school and he had also kind of changed paths when he was younger. And, um, then I, as time moved forward, I thought, and I had a good, my, my roommate, her boyfriend was actually at the Simon school and he loved it. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to apply to one business school. I'm going to see what happens. And I did. And I got into the Simon School. They offered me a 60% academic scholarship. Wow. And, uh, okay, let's just stop. Because <laughs> now we're going to business school. The rest is history. And yeah. I'm, I'm feeling, <laughs> I don't know if I'm right on this, but I'm feeling like you don't have any business experience. Because I can tell you, at the Johns Hopkins University, there was no business school. Mm -hmm. I took accounting courses at night to be able to get any exposure to mm -hmm. um, the business side of life. So how did you, I know you're going to have to take, you know, your core courses or whatever to be able to get into business school. So how did you bridge that gap? Because I'm not seeing yeah, your okay. like, I, business. I know that. That, I've jumped I know ahead. That that's, <laughs> it, well, no, that's not necessary. And I think it's important for, for all of us to understand that business school is so great for so many people in so many ways because it applies to every industry in the world. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter what you want to you know do. You can come into business school from any background. So fill in just that little gap okay. on how, how that even happens. Absolutely. Um, you know, there's a little bit more time in there. I think I over-compressed. Um, so what I did is I took a couple of classes at night at the business school. So I took marketing and I took, I believe, finance and I took them sequentially. Okay. And, um, you know, I was like, all right, this is kind of, this is, this is interesting. So I first, I made sure that I thought it was interesting. Then, um, the prerequisites were things to the most part, stats, calculus, you know, things that I liked and econ. I econ, mm -hmm. exactly. Um, actually, um, I, yeah, I had taken one econ class, I think, but what I, again... I think all of us did. I think yeah. we were all sitting there and he caught all at the same time. I think I got whatever. You exactly. Know, I, of us. I think we might have been sitting next to each other for a good portion of that. Yes. Um, it, you know, and I think part of it is, I don't know, hubris. I thought, hey, I went to the Johns Hopkins University and I have an MS in neuroscience. I can handle anything. Um, I don't think I realized what that a lot of people went to biz, studied business in undergrad. Right. And, and for a lot of people, the first semester of business school was... Um, Cakewalk. Yeah, all stuff they knew super well. And to me, it was... Um, I'd never seen any of it before. 
And um, as I'm, I know you know about business school, is if you get anything lower than a B, you're done. Mm-hmm. You can't move forward. You have to retake the class. You have to retake it over the summer. I, because I didn't have any business experience, could not get anything lower than a B. Otherwise, I was basically done mm-hmm. forever. Mm-hmm. Um, so, oh, and I, one other thing. So I actually worked at the hospital for my first semester of business school, and they paid 50% of your tuition. And I had a 60% scholarship, so I actually made 10%, which was I thought it Which, was brilliant. You should get an A. They should just graduate <laughs> you right there. Exactly. It's like so you're I done. Made, you learned everything you need to know. So I, I, had a, I had a 10% rebate on my first semester of business <laughs> That's a really good ROI right yeah, there. It was. It was really good out of the gate, except for one small thing. I had absolutely no idea what I was doing in any of my classes, and I was working 20 hours a week where everybody else was studying and going to school. But you were working 20 hours a week doing what? At the hospital. Okay. So and then plus unrelated. going to school full-time. Unrelated. Yeah. So mm-hmm. and I would go to class at business school, then I would go work, and then I would would go study. Mm-hmm. But 20 hours a week is a decent amount of time. Yes. To not have the crossover exactly. of the education. I get that. Yeah. And then I um, remember in one class, I took midterm and I had a seat. I went to the professor and I said, so... Have you Had you ever had a C in your life before? Not so much. I, don't, I wouldn't think that you no. would have. You're pretty... Pretty smarty smart. Yeah, and I okay. and I studied. Like yeah, it was just one of I those things it. where I was going from everybody else was like, I, I got this, and I was like, I have no idea what you're talking mm-hmm. about at all. And um, I got to see on the midterm, and I went to the professor. And this is a class where there was a midterm and a final. And I think the midterm That's was business school. That's yeah, how exactly. It is. Yeah. I think the midterm was forty percent or. 35, you know, it was one of those right. things where I went to the professor and I was like, is there any extra credit? You know, I'm working, I'm, I'm working Did 20 he laugh hours at you? a week. Um, he's like, <laughs> and I was like, what, what do I do? And he said, well, I guess you're going to take it again over the summer. And I said, I can't do that. And he goes, well, then you just have to get an A on the final. So basically I spent every minute studying that I was not working and mm-hmm. spent some minutes studying when I was working and then managed to pull out an A in that class. And then I realized from that point forward that, um, I needed to devote all of my spare time to learning business and all the aspects that I could and trying to get caught up. So the other, um, the, the next three semesters, I actually did not work at the hospital and didn't have that marvelous ROI, but I actually exactly learned a great deal more with a lot less stress and it seemed like a good choice. Right. So you finished business school. I finished business school. I well, and I worked in New York for a consulting firm um, between my uh, first and second year. As so an intern, um, as an intern, I worked for um, Foster Higgins, part of Johnson and Higgins. It was a benefits consulting firm. So I ran some. You know, I worked. I worked for three different bosses. The benefits like benefits plans. Yes, and benefits like plans. That, so people mm-hmm. understand. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Okay. Exactly. And that was. Great experience working for three different bosses simultaneously in New York for a consulting firm. Super easy. I bet they oh. were just like, you know what? Whatever you want to do. <laughs> do you want? Do you want extra coffee? Can we get anything for Come you? Come in anytime you Come want. Come in anytime. Don't, Don't mind the puddles out front. <laughs> exactly. Don't work late ever. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it was just like that. No, um, but it was it was a great learning experience. So I ended up getting that work experience that I needed, and then um, came back. Finished my second year, I ended up graduating. I thought I was going to get a degree in finance because of all the analytics. I ended up graduating with a degree in marketing and organizational strategy. Okay, so now you have a degree in bi- biology from the Johns Hopkins University. Biology and German literature. Oh, I forgot, forget. that's right. Was it a double major? It wasn't a minor. It, it was, was a minor. It was a minor. Oh, okay. I was yeah. like, was it major? a double major? That's no, really serious. major and minor. Because um, otherwise we'd have to start speaking in German, <laughs> even though I don't speak German. But I, I try. Next time. <laughs> okay, and then you had a master's in something really complicated that I can't repeat. 
MS in neuroscience and psychoneuroimmunology. Perfect. Be a you test said later. it. You said it exactly. <laughs> and now you have a um, an MBA mm-hmm. with a concentration in um, in marketing, marketing and organizational strategy. And okay. organizational strategy is basically HR. It's the science of people and how to get organizations to work um, in an optimal way. Okay. So when you go to the career office, did you go, did you visit your career office at your MBA, you know, like little wherever they have, I mean, when we were going to school, it was different, you know, and now I think people have, you know, much greater, I don't know, opportunities for information. I think we were just like, go honestly, like find a phone book and (laughs) figure this out, right? It's like, it was like ridiculous. Mm -hmm. So, so did you do any kind of work with the, a career consultant, uh, you know, someone in the career office or your internship people, I kind of, how are you making your decisions about your career at this point? Because now you're really well educated, a little bit experienced, but not experienced to the level that you were like, oh, obviously I'm just going to go do X for this company. Definitely the career office was um, very helpful. Uh, Simon School had a great program. The minute you started, Basically, they started giving you presentation skills training, and um, you were able to work on interview skills, do mock interviews. They worked with you on your resume. So they really did have a lot of support um, for the students. But the interesting thing was when I started going out on interviews, I wasn't getting any callbacks. I wasn't getting any second um, interviews. And somebody we went to school with, um, Trisha, we were both uh, home on Long Island, and she said, well, let, I, and I said, hey, can I, I know you're working for this consulting firm. You are just doing amazing. Can I pick your brain? Because something's not working because mm-hmm. I can talk to people. I'm personable. You know, I, I, I answered all their questions and I'm not getting a second interview. I can't figure it out. She said, okay, well, put on your interview suit, sit down and I'm going to interview you. I said, Great. Perfect. Perfect. So she's sitting at uh, my kitchen table. I come down the stairs in my interview suit, you know, my cute little, my cute little outfit. And I sit down and she goes, oh no, 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 no. I go, Wait, what? I didn't even said anything. She goes, mm-mm-mm. I go, okay, I just, I'm, I, what's happening? She goes, tell me about your suit. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, tell me about yourself, which is a common first question. No, no, like, this was, this we, is like, we were no, not, not, no, no, we don't even get to self. No, we're talk this suits. wasn't the interview. This was abject horror oh, on yeah, her right. part. She's just going, what are you doing? Like, and, and Trish and I had known each other since we were 12 years That's old. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. You and, need, you need this feedback. Right. And, and here I am, I am wearing this beautiful suit that I got in Lowman's on sale it's yeah. it's this olive color and it has this tone on tone embroidery i'm just going to interject here just let everyone know that that you are a fashionista so it's well, not like you. you are wearing something that is gauche or that oh, is no. like not hitting the mark or something like you might not be hitting the management consulting mark or whatever you're tr- whatever mark they're mm-hmm. trying to get to but you are hitting a fashion mark for oh. sure oh yes it was very fashionable but here's what trish then said she goes, you know what this suit says to me? And I'm like, I don't know, fabulous design. I'm, I'm like ex- so excited about the embroidery. And I'm like, look at the seam binding. I did a great look at my accessories. Exactly. Yeah. Like, look at my shoes. Like, Absolutely. I am just, boom, together, oh, killing it. You know, and she's just, she goes, this suit says that I'm an individual. I don't care what you think. I am going to dress any way that I'm like, oh my God, I'm like, this is a suit. It's not like I'm wearing a clown suit or a bathing suit or go-go boots. Absolutely, right? And she's like, you're wearing a mini skirt? I'm like, they're in. Wow. And she's like, you're wearing a mini skirt. When you sit down, that is like, that is on your thigh. I'm like, okay. 
She goes, in that jacket, you've got these weird three-quarter sleeve things, and you've got embroidery. And what are you wearing? even wearing underneath there? I'm like, um, wait, what? <laughs> and then I This just, is so interesting. I'm mm-hmm. just going to stop for one second. Because this is like, there's these turning points of, but of psychology, right? Mm-hmm. Because you're putting on this suit thinking I'm killing it, right? Like, I'm look, I look amazing. I feel great, which is what they always teach us in business school right. is you look good, you present well. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you're going to be able to answer these questions. Mm-hmm. But then to show up and have someone single that out, it's almost like if someone said you look too much like an individual, you'd say, and I'm going to ask you, mm-hmm. like, do I switch the suit or do I switch the industry? Mm-hmm. Right? So which happened? Which choice did you make? Because that's where you are. Yeah. Well, and we talked about that because I was like, I'm not going to pander to, you know, blah, blah. And, and basically what she said is, you know, no one's even getting to you. They're not getting past the suit. Let's go. Sh-. And I was like, oh, she's like, let's go shopping. Let me pick out an outfit for you. You get to pay for it, but I'll pick it out right, for you. Exactly. And what, was, what was she wearing? Like, did you go flip through? I would have, like, let me just oh, flip no, through I, your closet. And it's it all, like, navy blue, black, mm-hmm. and gray, right? Yep. There's no other right. option. Mm-hmm. And we did that later. It's like, we actually, we went to her house. We looked. And, okay. I was, and she was like, what don't you hate? Because yes, I was like, exactly. no, no, God, no. Seriously. Oh, maybe. Oh, I do like that. Yeah. How black is that? Maybe exactly. I can do that. Right. And then what we did is we went shopping and I think it was Dana Buchanan. If you remember, she used to be like yes. the fabulous suit maker. And I ended up getting a black suit. It was collarless. It was very fitted. Um, a pencil skirt that was like to the mm-hmm. knee, slightly below. Black trousers. We she went shopping. We picked out shoes. Um, and I, I guess I've never really been a big blouse fan. I just don't like blouses. I like more T-shirts or tanks. And she's like, we're getting you some blouses. Like the businessy kind of, just yeah. like shirts. Yeah. Shirts. And I still can't stand them to this day. Yeah. And, but we went and we got some blouses and then I was like, well, I'm getting this mustard yellow. And she's like, fine, get the mustard yellow. I'm like, right. I'm not getting white. I'm not getting blue. She's like, fine, get mustard yellow. That makes you happy. Um, so I ended up, I got like a peach shirt and a mustard yellow shirt because I was still going to be an individual. And she said, now wear this to your next couple of interviews. Cause she, and then we went through the interview questions, and she's like, "No, they're those are all fine. Everything's great, okay. you know." And she's just like, "You're, you know, you, when you get really excited, you start talking really loudly." But I think people will just read that as you're excited, so just be you. Um, changed my suit and went to a. I remember a forum in Atlanta. Like we all drove from Rochester, New York, to Atlanta, and you know we all went to this like open kind of, almost like a cattle call for different companies, and it included everyone from, you know, Burke Institute and. Um, MARC, like uh, research and Merck and um, all kinds of different companies, a wide range, Johnson & Johnson, I believe was there as well. And uh, I went on, I think, six interviews and I ended up with five second interviews. And you owe it all to the suit. I owe it all to the suit. Is it really, really, you really believe that it's the suit, I right? Think, well, I think, well, you don't think you're getting better at interviewing? I think, you think? I think, you know what, I think part of it I think as I was not getting second interviews, I think my confidence was starting to diminish a bit. And I think I might have been undermining myself. Mm-hmm. But also the fact that, um, you know, Trish, this person that I'd known for a large portion of my life, who was very successful, you know, she didn't say, don't be you. She said, let them say, yep, she's got it. And then see you and hear you and see all the things that make you special and different. But you need to be part of a team. If mm-hmm. your suit is screaming, I don't care about the rules, they're not going to believe when you say I'm a team player. Even if you have 10 examples, you're undermining your own credibility. 
and you know, once you start working someplace and you've proven yourself, you'll have more and more latitude to, mm-hmm. to you know, if, if you think there's, if, if there's a reason to dress a different way or do something different or have casual Fridays or be casual every day, you can support that. But to go against convention or the way things, I don't think I realized there was a way things were supposed to be. Mm-hmm. I came from science where uh, you wear so, yeah. Birkenstocks and jeans and a yeah. lab coat. And if you wore makeup, it was a little weird. It, absolutely. So I think that was just something I, I don't think I understood the language or, or I didn't have the currency or however you want to say that. I just didn't know. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know to ask. And when I was in business school and going to the career center, you know, we did do interviews in suits, but I don't think there was ever that no one ever commented. Cause I wonder if they were, they might've been thinking, well, obviously that's not our interview suit. Right. You don't know. Absolutely. Right. Exactly. Maybe they didn't even think of it like that. Or maybe they, they knew you or had some context for you already. So then they don't look at it the way that thank goodness mm-hmm. Trish did for you. And to then, be able to put it, because it's a really important part, because one of the things you think about for work is, with whom am I working? What is the culture like? Mm-hmm. Do I fit with that culture? But if you don't give yourself a chance to even know what that culture is, we're going to suppose a lot of things. Mm-hmm. We're going to interject all of our own issues and you know whatever we're bringing to the table mm-hmm. into that and say, well, I'm not going to work in that industry because this industry. So you you could easily have said this industry is stuffy. Mm-hmm. They're you know conformist. They you know don't value my individual effort or my individual whatever you know mm-hmm. contribution. Any of that which is still part of being on the team. Mm-hmm. But, but you know, I think it's great insight on your part, really, to say at that point, you know, I'm going to give myself a chance right. to explore this industry. And then within industries, as so many of us who've, you know, worked in various industries know, once you get in there, there's a multitude of jobs that you can do. Mm-hmm. There's a thousand ways that you can work within that culture, you mm-hmm. know, in different departments or with a different boss or with a different, you know, project that you're working yep. on or whatever. Okay. So that's really, really helpful. I think just to <laughs> even think about that, you know, to think about the suit, mm-hmm. it's not, it's, it's not just about the suit, but right. it is about the suit also. Sometimes it can be. Yeah, it really can. And I went back and told career services this story and they were like, oh, wow, we are going to tell everyone the story yes. moving forward because it's those little things where, you know, it, culture is so important and we all have filters. Yeah. And, you know, if you are feeding into someone's filter of, oh, I worked with that nonconformist, wouldn't listen and look at this suit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't want one of those again. You have to. You have to get rid of the barriers so you can actually, and, it, and a job interview goes both ways. Lower the barriers so you can both understand if this is a mutually good fit mm-hmm. and really have that honest dialogue. And, you know, none of us want to have a filter, but we all do. Yeah, we all do. And most of, many of us don't even know what our filters are, and that's another part of the exploration process. Absolutely. I think especially as you're talking about now, because now you're like 20, what, five-ish in, this, gra- in the story? This was 27. 27. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay, so right. So now we're maybe a little more flexible with yep. our ability to see other people, and it's not all about us, and it's not just, you know, like there might be other people might know more than I do. Imagine mm-hmm. that, right, which doesn't happen when you're 25. It takes a bit longer. Yeah, right. Exactly. Okay. So now you have your multiple second interviews. Yes. Or do you take one of those? Do you end yeah. up with a job out of this? Or I ended now? up with, um, I ended up with three job interviews. One was for, wow, I still remember this. Yeah, right. <laughs> Ernst because- & Young in New York, 
which sounds like consulting in New York, which I always thought, I'm like, this is amazing. This is what I want to do. You've made it. I've made it. Exactly. Yeah. Consulting in New York. Oh, yes. Um, and then I ended up getting a job offer from Merck for West Point, Pennsylvania, and an offer from Becton Dickinson for just outside of New York City. All, all management consulting? Uh, no. One was, pharmaceutical, one was ph- pharmaceutical, one was kind of medical device, and then one was consulting. But within those, you were going to do, so... Marketing. Okay. All I was, marketing. marketing. Okay. Yeah. One was marketing, consulting, the other two were marketing gotcha. on the, the corporate side. So one was the consulting side and two were the corporate side. And um, that was a difficult decision because I'm a New Yorker. Mm-hmm. The idea of working in consulting in New York, you know, it seemed kind of like what I wanted. And the more I thought about it and the more I thought about myself as a person, I'd come to understand myself a bit better over time is I don't like just doing things on the surface or being someplace for a short period of time. I like to put down roots. I like to go deep. And that's so I decided to go on the corporate side instead of on the consulting side. And then between the two roles, Merck and um, Becton Dickinson, Becton Dickinson, they loved me. They were like, you're amazing, and we're going to put you in this management training program. You're going to go to Europe, and you're going to manage all these things, and all of your volunteering is incredible. And I have to admit, I ended up with a case of imposter syndrome like you would not believe. I'm like, there is no way I could do I, I I understand now what it was then. I was like, they're insane. I can't do this. I've fooled them. There's no way I can do this job they think I'm capable of. And Merck, they said, we're going to train you. You're going to do sales for two years and then market research for two years. And then you'll do this. And we will make sure you know what you're doing. And we will support you and educate you every step of the way. And that's and and it ended up being a very good decision. That is the, the path that I took. I ended up going to work for Merck after um, finishing business school. Okay, so when you're sitting there, like because you're saying it, but it's, it's so many interesting things about how well you knew yourself then, which is intriguing because I could not have said that same thing about myself. I don't think, um, but kind of how did you, how do you know that? Like how did you how did you realize like I'm the kind of person who likes to put down roots. I'm the kind of and maybe maybe you could figure out that if you are that person, you could go to work instead of somewhere else. Mm -hmm. But how did you even figure out Mm -hmm. that you're that person? Like what process do you go through to figure that out about yourself? Or what would you tell someone? Look, if you're, if you're looking at these three options, this is kind of how I would approach that, um, you know, assessment, Mm -hmm. self-assessment. Part of it was self-assessment. Part of it was asking a lot of questions of people that I knew who were doing jobs like that. You know, how I went to Trish for advice on my suit. I'm, I'm, I've, I think one of my strengths is I've always been very aware um, of knowing what I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I've even said that to people that work for me. I'm like, you know, you have to know what you don't know. And I've had a few people say, how can I know what I don't know? I don't know it. Like, okay. <laughs> Blind spot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Maybe I'll phrase this a little differently. But... Um, you know, I've, I've always been very aware that there's a lot of things I don't know, and I've tried to find experts. And I knew that Trish was doing consulting, mm-hmm. and she talked to me about everything that she liked about it. And she liked going, you know, it was maybe a two, like some their assignments were long. They were a couple of years. Right. And it's you know, great, great information, right? Exactly. Yeah. So she had this apartment in D.C., but she was never there. You know, she was in London, or she was here, and she was there, and it was highly competitive, and everybody was trying to one up. So, and, it, and no one has any friends outside of work, and mm-hmm. you know, no you have one, no lives, and no then you lives go on vacation and... with your friends from work because they're the only people you know, because they're the only yes. ones that keep the crazy hours. And the vacations and... are right next to where you're going to be working the, <laughs> the next week. Exactly. And all and, those, yeah, all those yeah. cultural fits are important. You know, and then I, I'd done an internship, summer internship in um, 
consulting and I worked for three different bosses and one boss I loved, one boss I liked, and one boss we didn't get along all that well, you know? And in consulting, you're always going to be hopping and moving and always so many variables from a people standpoint. And um, I think what might be obvious from all of the degrees I've amassed over the years is I like to learn. I like to really study things. And, you know, if I'm traveling somewhere, I want to know everything as much as I possibly can about the place. And the fact that I was going to be moving from project to project, and even if it was a longer term project, I never would really own it. I would always be kind of a visitor. I Mm -hmm. would never, it would never be home. And I think I just realized that that was going to be difficult for me. I'd already changed fields. Um, Mm -hmm. And the struggle that I went through going from science to business, I mean, it was tough. I worked so hard. And to always have to be starting over, I think at that time, I don't think I necessarily believed in myself as much as I do now. Um, And at that point, I was like, whoa, this is not... I'm I just I'm not sure I really want that. And but even now, would you say you're the same person though in terms of that this aspect? Oh yes. Just, you still don't want to be starting starting over. You want to be able to delve into something more significantly. Yes, but I did go from you know working for Johnson and Johnson and medical device to working for Pilot on pens. Yes, jumping ahead. Okay, so let's get there. Exactly. Good point. Okay, so then, so Merck is kind of so comes work, and goes. Or? So work, well, I worked for Merck. Um, I, I worked for Merck. I uh, was supposed to start in sales and they had an urgent need in market research. They're so like, oh, look, we have this geeky person with a science degree. Love it. Right. Yeah. So they started me inside. I skipped the sales rotation and then um, they kept having like an urgent market research need, which, you know, sounds kind of funny. But um, so I kept progressing through market research and then I ended up working in marketing to doctors, which are, you know, all of the detail aids that talk about this drug is more efficacious than this drug. And there's lots of bar charts, um, you know, and maybe some pullouts, exactly pullouts and maybe some print ads and, you know, it's, and and I was like, wow, that's great and all, but I really, really, really want to do some consumer marketing. And then, so you, and you rotate through everything at Merck and the training is incredible. And so it came time for me to do my consumer marketing rotation. And Merck and Johnson and Johnson had a partnership called Johnson and Johnson Merck that had launched Pepsid over the counter. And I thought, well, if I am going to go do consumer marketing, I'm going to go work for Johnson and Johnson Merck because that's the real consumer marketing. And right. And was, is that true? Because I mean, yeah. I, oh, it is. Right. I mean, P, P and G and J and J. I hope you found that to be true. Yeah, no, yes. P and, for sure. P and G and J and J are the two places that if you can choose where you want to do your, learn your consumer marketing, I mean, in my opinion, yeah. those are, those I would are think the like t- some of the big, like Johnson Wax, like things like yeah, that yeah. too. Like Absolutely. Of, but, but on the medical side, for sure. Yeah, Johnson and, and, Johnson. and I'm thinking it's important to understand, to just to appreciate from the business aspect, the money is not in you know consumer you know advertisement for the on the pharmaceutical side. The mm-hmm. money that they spend is on uh, you know mm-hmm. f- doctors, you know direct mm-hmm. to physician ads, that kind of stuff. And then the the little like okay, we'll humor you because they just started doing that. But then but mm-hmm. then it's just probably when you were doing it, becoming much more of a an emphasis and where they knew they could kind of sidestep the doctor and get mm-hmm. right to the to the patient. Yeah, kind of end around a little bit. Yeah, which is exciting, I guess, from that mm-hmm. aspect. It's probably really creative. Well, and I'd done market research on the consumer advertising, and I'd seen the way we do it. And also, if you're advertising a medication, it is very specific what you can and can't mm-hmm. say. And then you always have that lovely voiceover is like yeah, that tells you all the negative side effects, like may actually cause blindness, and, you're, you're and you might die, fall off, and, and you might die so many times. <laughs> and, you know, and this yes. is all going in the background 
around on your ad. And I thought, but the ad looks really nice. Oh, you know, they're great. still running around in the daisies. Exactly, you know? exactly, <laughs> prancing down the beach. But yeah, and that, so I thought, you know, I think I want to do something that's a little less serious than, you know, cholesterol lowering drug or, you know, a, uh, you know, a, a drug for various other pretty serious disorders. So I uh, went over to Johnson and Johnson Merck. I worked on Pepsid. And that was a great experience and worked on Hispanic marketing. I did multicultural oh, marketing nice. for them, so all aspects. So print, TV, coupons. Um, we had a mobile marketing tour, so I got to do all of that. What did you like about it? What was So uh, what kind of drew when, you know, because you go there and then you, it unfolds, that whole situation unfolds. And then what, what were you really like most hmm. motivated by when okay. you were there? That's a great question. So at Merck, um, they did a great job of training you in each function, and eventually you would work your way up as senior director, and you would finally have P&L responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, at J&J, when you joined a team, um, like the uh, Pepsid team, the first, the, the newest member gets is responsible for the budget. <laughs> and if you're, yeah. So uh, no pressure. And but you, thank goodness, because right. at least you had some background for that. Right, but you so. end up managing a budget, and you end up... How big is the budget? It was a sizable. I would it imagine. was in the you know millions, and mm-hmm. add a little more onto that. But yeah, it was um, that was a Hispanic piece only, mm-hmm. you know. But um, you end up with P and L responsibility, and it is something that you don't get till you're much higher level in uh, at, at, at a Merck or another company like that. So I love the fact that I had ownership of all aspects of the business. That I had to grow the business, and then I was responsible for the spending to grow the business, mm-hmm. and I was looking at ROI, and I was really owning it. And to me, that was super exciting. And I had great resources and great agencies and mentorship, and I was able to learn and make you know commercials that some drove the business. One was a disaster. Cause, and then I learned, I learned a lot of great lessons, and some things were things like, yes, go do that again, and some things were, no, 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 please don't do that again. Right. And sometimes, yeah. sometimes those are some of the most valuable lessons that we learn. So I love the fact that I was able to own a business start to finish, have P&L responsibility, and... Um, You're kind of like a business owner without the capital investment, right? Yep. It, it, the reverse capital investment, right? <laughs> Which is even better. But yes. I mean, but right? It's, it seems like from what you're saying is that, you know, you would be the one thinking in the middle of the night, like, oh, shoot, you know, mm-hmm. we have to make sure that we do this and that. And what if we don't... What if that doesn't turn mm-hmm. out correctly? Yeah. No, but it's also, it's very much an upper out culture. So it's mm-hmm. not like, you just manage the budget and let's see how it goes. Like, yeah. if you did not come in with than one percent that was things would not work out well for you it was very much up around tricky on a budget that big you know it was intense but it was great and you know i learned a lot and if i hadn't had that experience i don't think i could do what i now do at pilot so how did that happen uh how did that happen all right let me give you the very quick version of this um so i work i feel like this is going to be like i was at this party (laughs) and i I was at this bar you know for some corporate event and sitting next to me was so and so you know you know know, it's funny like you would think that i do you would you would be the story but um it's actually a little bit different than that um so i was working for johnson and johnson merck and um, i was living in philadelphia and my husband was a CFO, and he ended up getting his dream job offer in Jacksonville, Florida, to be VP of Business Development. And I said to him, "There cried. is." <laughs> I cried a lot, and then I said, "Well, there. You know what? It's not about me. It's about there has to be. There's no marketing in Jacksonville, so there is no possible way that I could go there because I cannot give up my career. I've worked so hard." And he said, 
that makes sense. He goes, but can you at least just see if there's any marketing in Jacksonville? And I said, I'll see. So I walk into work and I sit down in my boss's office and I go, tell her the story. And I go, yep. Yeah. And I said, there's no marketing in Jacksonville. So there is no way we are going. And she's like, actually, there is marketing in Jacksonville. I, Excuse me. She goes, yeah, Johnson and Johnson has a business down there. It's called Visticon. They make contact lenses. Not a small, not like a little bit of marketing. No. <laughs> yeah. Major, major, marketing. major, major company doing extremely well. And I thought, huh, well, and I was like, well, I'm sure the culture is nothing like it is here. Like, this is our own little company and this is amazing. She's like, no, actually, I know the um, CEO down there and he's incredible. He was actually my mentor. Oh, really? Yeah. She goes, no, you should go just down and meet him. And, within, and you're like, do I really have to? Because and I was like, can I just pretend we've never had this conversation? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know who you are. I don't know what we're talking <laughs> la, 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 about. Because there's no marketing yeah, in Exactly. There is no I'm market. not going there. So, um, you know, and it, within J&J, you interview for jobs. And people from outside, internally, yeah, internally, internally and, and externally, they'll okay. candidates, they, they post the job internally and externally, and then there is competition, markets being efficient, you figure out who the best person is, and that's who's hired for the job. So they had two job openings in Jacksonville, and I told Steven, I said, well, you know, I'll, I'll interview for them, but I'm sure I'm not going to get them. Yep. Got both. You had to make you a choice for like, the interview or something. <laughs> I didn't. We should have worn the suit. I, oh, Dang. I, yeah, we had the whole plan. Oh, you, you, like, you, I totally right. forgot that we had the suit. The blowing suit. only I had remembered. I think I might have burned it at some point. If only I kept the suit. <laughs> then you all. could have thrown the interview. I, exactly. Sadly enough, I did not have the suit. Ended up getting um, offers for both jobs. And then... Here and well, it's funny. Just to back up for a minute, when I moved from Merck to Johnson and Johnson, I took a lateral. Actually, it was actually a lateral and back. Like I think there's some play. Like for, a lateral under. A, like a, a lateral under. Well, I, exactly. I, I'm like, thank you. Lateral under. Sorry, wrong term. Like, I, yeah. <laughs> you mean, right? Yeah. Kind of like a yeah. yeah exactly. A downward so, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I went from being a manager with an admin and to being like a. Um, to basically where everybody out of business school started. So I've been working oh, for that's Merck really for. Five years, and then I basically was due over and started wow. again. And you know, things went really, really well, and I progressed. And then I went, the same thing happened when I got the two offers from Visticon. One was a manager level with an office, and it was a super like sexy role, and one was a more fundamental role. And I thought, yeah, I'm gonna do it again. <gasps> so I, I went, knew that. <laughs> I was totally thinking that you were gonna say, and I thought, I've already done that, I can't do that again. It's just like when you've been sleeping on a really nice, you know, bed with really nice sheets for like yeah, a really long time and then you just can't go and like stay at the motel six anymore. Yeah, like I you know. just can't do it. Well the problem was the manager job was in an area that I wasn't as interested in and to me it didn't seem as core to marketing. It was one of those things where there was like a I don't even know, like an executive director. And there were, and I was just one of those things where I'm like, I don't buy into that aspect of the business. To mm -hmm. me, I understand they've created this business unit. I really like core marketing. And, you know, and when I talked to the, the person who was running that business, he was amazing. And I said to him, you know, I really want to get promoted back. This job is at a lower level than I am now. I, how do I get this in the interview? And he was just like, I can't believe you just asked me that. I'm like, yeah. As I'm like, I'm like, I am so throwing this interview right now. <laughs> I was going to say, don't you see what I'm wearing? <laughs> Look at the suit. Exactly. I'm saying the suit. I'm not wearing it, but I'm saying it. So I said, you know, um, this is actually lower than where I am right now. I took a, I did, I went backwards when I went to Johnson, Johnson, Merck, um, how do I get from where I am to this role? And I'd like to do this in, in six months time. or so. Yeah. Which you don't say. But I was trying to throw the interview, I think. And he said, you know what? You show me that you are a leader and 
you know, you are changing the business and you are creating all these things you're saying. You like creating things that were never there before. You can show me that you're going to do that. I'll promote you in six months. And if you don't show me that, and if you never show me that, I will never promote you. Oh, a zero sum game. Mm-hmm. I love it. And I was like, okay, this is on. Wait, okay, but this is interesting too because you're that person. I liked it. Which it, it, I wonder if he knew that about you. I wonder if he could like sense based on, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. good interviewers can kind of get mm-hmm. it right when they're looking through your resume and kind of seeing that. And if he thought, you know what, I'm going to give her zero sum mm-hmm. and I know that she's going to get the one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nothing like a binary That's really solution. super interesting. Okay. So what happened? So what happened then? You went with him. I went with him and I ended up getting my promotion in six months. What was that environment like that? Was that like a pressure cooker environment though? Since he says like, you know, you prove it like use it or lose it basically but right that's, but it's kind of my nature i go in and I how want- do you know that like how did you know that about yourself you just uh, like because that's what's so interesting is how how you know some of us find jobs that don't suit us and we mm. don't know that until we're there and we're like oh my gosh i i couldn't i couldn't think of anything less i'd like to do this morning than get up and go to this job or go work with these people mm. or and i think contextually you have to know you've alluded to this a couple of times in terms of like the culture even you know some people might have taken the other job that was more like cushy like you said looked more sexy and that mm-hmm. kind of thing because that's what's important to them and even evaluating it it's so important to know who you are and just to be conscious of the decisions that you're making i'm making this decision because this is a sexy job and that is important to me. Mm-hmm. And I know that this is, you know, more interesting or whatever, but I'm going to, I'm going to pass. So like, how do you have that? Mm-hmm. How do you put it together with your work path? Because it seems like you've been so insightful as you've gone along. I mean, some of us just get lucky, right. And get dropped into mm-hmm. certain roles that suit us so well. And you there, how did this even happen to me? I don't even know. And you just <laughs> want to shoot those people. Um, but I think that you have made really solid decisions along the way and based on knowing yourself and and getting the good information from people and the other you know the other things that you've done mm-hmm. to make sure that you're successful. Hmm. I think I think cuz I've done a number of things, I've been in a number of fields. I think I've learned by making a broad range of mistakes. <laughs> like what? What would be some of your big mistakes um, well, that you you would consider a mistake? Well, I see and it's funny. I think I want to redefine mistake. Um mis- it's, I think of it more as skiing. If you're doing, if you're not falling down when you're skiing, why are you even out there? You need to push yourself. You need to try things new. If you're just being completely conservative all the time, you're never going to get any place you've never been. Mm-hmm. And to me, mistakes are okay. I actually think they're fine. And for my team, I've told them. I said, I as you're growing into your new role, I expect mistakes. I just expect you to own them and us to figure out what happened. And then I don't like repeat mistakes, Yeah, you know, but mistakes are fine. It means you're learning and growing and figuring things out. So I think I tried one thing. It didn't really work, but there were certain things I really liked about science. I liked figuring something out. I liked creative problem solving. So then I went to business school and I thought I'm going to love all the numbers. And then I realized, yeah, I love the numbers, but I like where the numbers are taking me in a creative direction. And I also really like to win. I'm very competitive. Really good to know about yourself. Ridiculous. You, were you in sports? When you, um, like, I played tennis. Okay. I played tennis. Um, I also kind of lack common sense. So I like if I would play tennis and it'd be incredibly hot and I was somebody was way better than I was, I would never back down. Like, yes. And, you know, and then as I got older, I learned more common sense. Like, okay, you know, if someone's – you may lose the tennis game. You're not supposed to play until you actually pass, pass out. out. <laughs> You know, me. I love that we're on the same page. Of course, you know these Hopkins girls. Yes, I mean because we're. I mean, it's almost you think of it. It's self-selecting in a lot of ways, even where you go to college and the environments that you're in. Because of course, you're there to compete. You know, there's some aspect of that as well, well that you would definitely know. And, and I hate. 
to say it, but the best way to motivate me is just like my um, finance professor. He said, you know, you have to get an A on the final. Why don't you should just drop the class now? And I was like, it is on. It's on. It exactly. is on. I am getting that A. There yeah. is no, there's nothing else in this world than that A. And I am getting, and I'm getting an A in every single class. <laughs> I am. You just, not only that, right, but I'll and, get, and I'll then, get all A's. Exactly. And then, you know, and I didn't, I, but I did get, I did get the B in that, I did get the B in that class. I got a mix of A's and B's mm-hmm. and I was very, very proud of myself. Um, but yeah, that's the thing is, I get so motivated when somebody tells me you you can't do this. Right. This is just not, mm, just just give up now. So now, okay. So let's transition into your mm-hmm. current role because I'm wondering if now, um, being at an executive level, mm-hmm. you have to create those situations for yourself. Yes. Now, right? So, um, okay. So first, tell us how you got there. Okay. How did you, how did you end up you know mm-hmm. transitioning to pilot? Because I'm I'm imagining this Johnson. I don't know how long is the Johnson Johnson story for was, at Jacksonville. Was it a while? It was not that long. It was three three years maybe. Um, so moved to Jacksonville with my husband started it maybe did you just start complaining the second you got off the plane was it one of those things like <laughs> what the heck are we doing here when can we leave how long is this assignment well, here's the funny part we're still in jacksonville so um my dad lived in jacksonville for 13 years it's a great yeah, it's a it's, great it's town. easy living great i'm a new yorker people. yeah, yeah a lot absolutely of, a lot of new yorkers um we all speak with the same accent when we get together <laughs> it's good um you know but so i was there for Maybe four years, three, four years, and I, um, I had my son. I had right, Marsh. which changes things. Yes, right. yes, yes. I had my son, and also my uh, two stepkids came to live with us. And I've always was a person that would work, you know, crazy late till two o'clock in the morning, a couple nights a week, and make sure everything was perfect, and perfectly yeah, put away, and every email Absolutely. was answered, and all my emails were in folders, and my desk was perfect, and everything was filed. And you know, then I went from having zero to three kids in 13 months and that was a big change and you didn't have any experience in anything like that no no none at all i'd been like a i'd been you know like a disneyland stepmom you know like when the kids came right. to visit we'd be and also. you're an only child and i am an only child right so it's so that was that was a big adjustment and i um after i had my son i took a long maternity leave and i went back i think after eight months maybe mm-hmm. and i went back and they gave me a very big launch so i was flying back and forth across the country with my breast pump. Oh, wow. Right. This is like modern mm-hmm. woman 101. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And um, after a few months of that, I, I basically went and talked to my boss, and I was like, this isn't working, And which is the weirdest thing for me because I've always wanted to win. You tell yes. me I can't do it, and I'm going to do it. Exactly. Gonna, and, and at all costs, right? Exactly. And yeah. I just was like, I'm miserable. And it was kind of back to that moment and uh, when I was in my uh, PhD program before I, you know, the, the terminal masters where I was like, you know, I wake up in the morning and I'm just like, oh no, 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 no. So I went and talked to my boss and he was like, you know what? I get it. Um, we'll, we'll give you a year. We'll give was your you- boss or a man or a woman just out of curiosity. Man. Okay. And a really great human being. That's fantastic. So I still yeah. know, know well, um, we're still in contact and he's still a great mentor. Um, he said, you know what, we'll, I'll, I'll help you and we'll get you a role that has non-P&L mm-hmm. and, um, you know, we'll put you in a cul-de-sac. You can have a year. You can't have more than that because we're an upper out culture. You get that. We all get that. But yeah, you, we'll give you a year. And that was in uh, October and in January. Actually, I'm, I think I took only seven months maternity leave. But so, and it was in October and in January, they laid off everybody who didn't have P&L responsibility. Oh, there you go. There you go. Yeah. And that was the strangest thing. 
to have happen for Be- a winner. Yeah. And I've always been like, you know, if, where, as like the top 2% or a sure. TP performer, like, you know, high potential. Yeah. And, You're you know, achievement driven. Yeah. And, and all of a sudden it was just like the music stopped and I didn't have a P&L or a chair and... Yeah, or a chair. <laughs> it's not like, oh, we're going to close this division. And, you know, I mean, you know, I've, I've had experience where they're like, we're going to close the whole business. Like, well, okay, I can't mm-hmm. personalize that. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. And, you know, and they let a lot of us go. And it was very strange. And that's, it's interesting to note your market. You're in Jacksonville. Like, it's not, like you said, is there any marketing in Jacksonville? Yeah, I just just got let go from it. Exactly. Like, (laughs) yes, there's marketing in Jacksonville, but it's not like in New York or it's not like in Philadelphia Mm -hmm. where you were, where it's, you know, you could probably, you know, spend a couple weeks and put something together, talk to a couple people and slide right in. Like, you probably were, I don't know, were you nervous? Very much so. Yeah. I Very much so. so. And then um, to make this story even more exciting is um, Stephen had gotten, uh, had actually, he wasn't laid off. He decided is he this was. the hubby? The hubby. Mm-hmm. The hubby decided that he um, was not happy in his role. So he had left his job in September. So that was fun. So this is a really. Like, this is a great time for this you is, guys. This is like a storybook time for us, <laughs> the salad days. Yes. So, so that was interesting. And I have to admit, it was shocking. And, um. You know, I'd already made, and then I questioned my decision of giving back. Of course, the yeah. PNL, and I, I, you know, ruined everything. And then all of a sudden, I realized that what I'd always said is that I wanted a year off with my son, and I wanted to take, you know, if only. And I ended up with taking. I had all that time. I ended up um, getting the job with Pilot in July, so I had lots of time off with my son. And time with my stepchildren, who really needed Which me. Which is nice bonding, mm-hmm. too, yeah, just to kind of create that yeah. whole mm-hmm. family. But yeah. were you, like, you know, at the pool signing resumes and sending emails and, no, you oh, know... Oh, no, no, <laughs> Marsha was in the stroller, like, in the shade yeah, at the right. pool, and I'm, yeah, I was... Because you're still trying to get a job, right? Oh, so yeah, oh, I was... Oh, I, I spent here. three to four hours every day working on getting a job. Yeah. Okay. And I was cold calling and, and working every contact that I knew, and... Um, you know, we were even thinking of potentially relocating back up north. Of course, yeah, you would have all those options right. on the table. So we right? were looking into every aspect. Stephen was looking at jobs up north, but we, you know, there are a lot of things to consider now mm-hmm. when you have three kids. Yeah, family, yeah. right? And uh, I ended up there was a job opening at Pilot um, <laughs> for the, basically an entry level marketing position. <laughs> Great. Did you just take off all that stuff after business school? You just took it all off your resume, right? And you just sent them like, this is where I stopped so that they could at least hire you. No, I was, I was honest about it. So I went in for the interview and, um, had a very good interview and, you know, they asked me certain questions like, so tell us what your salary was at your previous job. And I said, you know what? I'm not going to tell you that, but I am going to tell you that I'm very interested in this job and I'm very loyal. If you look at my career, I went from Merck to Johnson and Johnson, Merck to Johnson and Johnson, Mm -hmm. which was basically a continuum. And Mm -hmm. if my husband had not moved us to Jacksonville, I never would have actually left. Left. I probably would have gone back to Merck. So um, I'm not job hopper. I'm not looking for, you know, um, different companies and different experiences. If you hire me, I will stay. I will do the best I can for you. I will bring all of these skill sets to bear. I, I want this job. And that's all that I'm, I'm hoping you believe that. And I'm hoping you see in me the fit that I see. And they ended up hiring me. 
That's a that's a really um, that's a really good piece of information there too because I think that's a that's kind of a struggle question. You know, what was your salary? Whether it's on the low side or the high side, right? It's a, it's a trap because if it's on the low side, well, then you you can't grow into this. If we're if you made thirty and we're at, we pay sixty, then like who are oh, you? you're, mm-hmm. and if we, yeah. you know you just came from one fifty and we're going to give you you know eighty, then mm-hmm. you're not going to do that either. So that's a, I think that's a really good way to approach that. Has to be authentic, answer. though. It can't be, you know. Oh, I'm making thirty, and this role's sixty, so I'm not going to tell you. Yeah. It has to be authentic, mm-hmm. and that's the thing. Is I think throughout all my my entire career, I've been real. I've been authentic, and when I said that, I meant it with every fiber of my being. It's mm-hmm. like I convinced myself I meant it, and right. I'm still with Pilot. Um, you know, I've moved up. <laughs> the, way, the, way, so the first, the first. What happened on the first date? Did you get? You don't have your own office, a cubicle. Oh, I had a have? cubicle. I had a okay, cubicle. You had a cube. Okay. I had a cube. All I right. Had a cube. Not a not a desk. Well, at I think a, entry level round table no, or something. No, no, no. But I mean, also, it was a. I think it was a marketing manager. I mean, it was a. It, Kind of like a relations kind of job. Yeah, right? it was a marketing yeah. manager. I mean, it was like not completely entry, but it was like compared to where I had been working. Right. You know, no direct reports. You're responsible for a few small things. Um, it was great. I was going to say, it's kind of nice <laughs> to back off from the responsibility when yeah. you have other things going on in your life also, just in that moment, just to kind of get your bearings. And you're kind of... And it's a different industry, mm-hmm. right? Even though those of us who are marketers understand that marketing is marketing and there's you know some basic you know tenets that apply across industries. Right. Nonetheless, it's useful to be able to, to know your industry from the inside. Well, it was nice to be able to take some time and learn the industry but also it was nice to have some skills to bring to the table from day one to mm-hmm. say actually i can help you with this or maybe we can try this or let's do it the way you currently do it see i'd learned you don't just not do things the way they currently do it let's do it the current the way we currently do it and maybe let's try it this different way or you know the market research function was pretty relatively limited at that point i said well maybe we should do this and maybe we should do this and you know it was one of those things where um there was a lot of freedom to try new things. Um, there were specific requirements, but they were very reasonable and fair. And it was a good group of people. So it was a really nice place to get my feet back under me because I think my confidence, again, like had been rocked a bit. I mm-hmm. don't know if that's a bit gender specific, yeah. but I know that my confidence had been shaken. The fact that I had my view of myself was I'm always the, t- the top performer to you've been laid off. It, yes. it was right? it yeah. was nice to be able to go to a place every day where you knew you could do a good job. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, I really thought about, do I want to go back to work? Is this a sign from above that right. I should not go back to work? And I realized that I'm a better parent um, and a better person to everyone around me if I do have that outlet. Not everybody's the same way. I think it's just my nature. I need to be... Incredibly busy all the time, mm-hmm. and I. But I'm very analytical, and I need to scratch that analytical itch on an ongoing basis, and that just works for me. Also, the hours at Pilot were amazing. It was yeah, this is exactly the, mm-hmm. it right, was seven thirty so. to three thirty with an hour for lunch. Wow! And then so I and ha- coming from an executive level, when you think <laughs> like there is no lunch, what are you talking about right. lunch? And what do you mean you're going to leave? You know, right. And right. So. so I was done with my job by three thirty. Wow! So I was home before four. With no guilt. With no guilt whatsoever. Yeah. And, you know, and with Marsh once, you know, um, with my son, once he was in preschool and, you know, school, there wasn't that much time that he was not in school that I was not with him. Right. Yeah. So there was me. Yeah. Exactly. So I was home so close to when he was done with his day that it really worked well. Um, 
for me. It worked well for us. It worked well for the family. And it just, Pilot was a great place to grow in different ways and kind of take a different approach to my career for a little bit when my kids were adjusting and, and when my uh, my son was small mm-hmm. and then pick up momentum as my step um, kids went to college um, you know and as my son got older so it gave it the, really the timing was perfect and it's nice where you can take a moment and you can mm-hmm. have different priorities and I think that quote that you can have it all but not at the same time yeah, you can have you can do anything <laughs> but not everything exactly yes, absolutely you know and that's the thing it's it's a matter of um, work-life management. There is no balance. It's just how you manage the different aspects of it. What do you think if you would have stayed in in Philly or if I'm more thinking about even just this, the timing of work, because that's another thing that is so important to, for, for all of us to understand what kinds of environments we can function in, you know? So if you come in at 7.30 and leave at 3.30, I mean, I, I mean, did you have like anxiety the first five days that you were there? Like, why am I, why am I leaving? And it's still light outside. And, you know, I'm pretty sure there's kids just getting off the bus stop. And why am I leaving a job mm-hmm. at this time? But I'm wondering if you would have, um, survived as well in an environment that wasn't as um as what would i say like conducive to work-life mm-hmm. balance yep. you know if you had been in uh you know in philadelphia with the hours that we all make there are our own mandates you know mm-hmm. i know that we there's a culture to it also but you know if you're if you're built that way that's mm-hmm. just the way you do it so what do you think about that i mean in terms of when people are evaluating that you could almost say that you could end up with people who are kind of lackadaisical if you're at a you know a seven to three job right or seven thirty is it seven thirty to three seven thirty to three but you know what I'm getting at right did did you get kind of the oh shoot am I going to show up and here I am this hard driving you know New Yorker tons of experience and am I going to show up with these really nice people who love coming into their work and leaving you know it was a very strange transition I struggled a little bit with it. But then what I realized is there is something pretty incredible about being fully present wherever you are. When I was at work, I was at work and I was driving as hard as I possibly could. Every once in a while I shop for shoes. You know, we all do that. But I was driving <laughs> Online shopping. Oh, love it. Thank but God. yes. But I was driving as hard as I could and I was trying to make things better and I was trying to bring all the knowledge and experience that I had to the fore and create things and create things that were never there before and partner and learn and grow. But when I was done, I was done. And then I could be fully present at home. Mm-hmm. When I was at um, you know, J&J, I would get back on my computer after dinner and work for a few hours till, you know, sometimes pretty late. And not, not just on a Wednesday. No, 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 no. no. I, some days I would stay late at the office, but I was always at home on the mm-hmm. laptop late at night. And, um, it was really nice to take an approach where you you work when you're working, maybe check a little bit your email, make sure nothing blew up. And when you're home, you're home. Mm-hmm. And I think there is something so healthy to that. I know not all corporate cultures are like that. And I also can't criticize any corporate culture because the people there are thriving and the company's thriving. Well, and they're also, you know, regenerating that culture every day, right? Mm-hmm. So, But for where I was as a person, where I was in my with my family, in my career, it worked so well and it's funny because now with greater responsibility and a pretty good sized team um i find myself starting to default back to that second shift where i'm going to get on my laptop Mm -hmm. after dinner and sit in the chair and really not be paying any attention to the movie that we're all supposed to be watching and together as a family just Mm -hmm. clacking away on my computer and I, i have to stop myself but 
and really just try and be fully present. And I think we all need to do that. I Mm -hmm. think I am so much happier if I can spend a few hours with my family, with my son, with my husband. And at the end of that, that's been a real pure interaction. I'm that much more energized to go to work and really put myself into that 100%. So I think that's a big lesson that I took away from it. And, you know, I think everybody would internalize those hours differently. But I think if you've got a whole bunch of people that work really hard when they're there and then go home and live their lives and then come back energized to work really hard when they're there again, there's nothing bad about that. And guilt-free on both sides. Pretty, is, You know what? Honestly, if you're pretty close to guilt-free, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a great way of articulating that. So as we're like now coming <laughs> to the close of our story, I'm thinking, <laughs> how is it that are you where you expected to be? And I'll ask this in various frames, right? So are you where you expected to be professionally at the level that you expected to be? Mm-hmm. Are you where you expected to be with, the um the degree of difficulty you know so there's the level of whatever you know say you're a vp you're a director you're you know you have Mm -hmm. a label that fits um the degree of difficulty in terms of the work that you're you know that you're doing and the type of work that you're doing what would what would you have (laughs) thought 20 years ago that you would be doing you know you would certainly i don't think would have been would have thought what i'm going to be doing like we said from the Mm -hmm. playground but even from you know 20 years ago probably wasn't this so what are what have been the surprises (laughs) and and kind of fill in the gaps a little bit about it's surprising, but also, you know, helpful or useful in these ways. And what would you also think about when so many people have these very um, circuitous trajectories, right? Mm-hmm. We don't even know where we're going half yeah. the time. And then when you end up there, what what surprises you? No, it's a good, it's a good question. And I think one thing I neglected to say earlier is that all the companies that I worked for and, you know, pilot, the, the job was available. Um, but all the companies that I worked for all sold number one selling products in their categories. And that was part of the reason why I wanted the job with pilot. That's something I, I know I didn't share. So for me to work for a company that creates the best products, mm-hmm. the best quality that are preferred by consumers because of the attributes that are put in based on insights. That's a company that I want to be part of. So that's why if it was medications or medical devices or over-the-counter acid relief or pens, that was a unifying attribute and that worked for me because I am very much interested in doing the best work and I demand that from myself. So I would never want to work for a company that didn't demand that of its products. Mm -hmm. So that was a fit for me. So the fact that I'm working you know, as my dad loves to say, selling pens, um, like not actually selling them. I'm never mind. Uh, you know, the fact that I came, my dad thought I was a social worker until the day he died. So don't worry about it. Yeah. I'm like, well, that's not exactly right. And then my mother goes, Oh, you're in the commercials. I'm like, no, but okay. So yes. Um, you know, the fact that I'm selling pens is a bit of a surprise, but the fact that I'm working on marketing products to people based on the attributes they deliver against their psychographic needs. You know, that makes sense to me because of the whole scientific background. I've taken, I take a scientific approach to everything that I do. I love creative problem solving. Remember that section on the GRE that was like, if A's next to B and C's next to Q, where's D? I love those (laughs) questions. And that's what I really do across product and research and consumer marketing, um, you know, and even, you know, a little bit with creative services and, and strategy. So, the fact that that scientific analytical itch 
that you know really kind of started all of it that has gone through i think the way it has come to life is very different the fact that i sell pens is a surprise but the way you know we go to market um the way we do things really is based is is the culmination of everything that i've been doing way back to you know when we were in school together. Right. So, um, and even like when I was on the playground, I thought I want to be a doctor because so I wanted to solve problems. Mm-hmm. I wanted to understand how things worked and I wanted to connect with people. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what I get to do just in a very different way than I thought when I was, you know, on the playground uh, when I was little. Um, I think I've learned a lot about being a good manager over the years. I think when I started managing, I was awful um, because I was not good at sharing constructive feedback. Uh, I shied away from anything that seemed like conflict, and that was really unfair to people. But I was really good at sharing that feedback up, but not down. Interesting, okay. Ooh, that was a lesson. Um, yeah. I also, you know, there were, I was good at the big stuff and missing on the small stuff, like, you know, filing reports on time or expense reports, and things that weren't that important to my world, but were really causing some significant problems to others, because I didn't ask why it was important. So Mm. I learned a lot of things, even with all my analytical ability, I had a lot of blind spots, and I learned to understand those blind spots, and now I've learned how to manage people to understand their blind spots, and then that has made me a much better manager. So um, that was interesting because I always thought, hey, if you're analytical, you analyze it all and you get it done. But no. <laughs> right. And interesting and when you're talking about it, but for an analytical person to bring in some of that empathy, you know, for mm-hmm. someone else and you're doing your little job thinking you've got all your dots lined up, mm-hmm. but then someone else has dots that you're you're not giving them what they need to, to fill it in, which is interesting. It's it's when you're talking about it too, it's almost incidental, I think, that you're working for pilot pens, mm-hmm. that you're selling pens, right? Because right. what you're saying is I I am working for a winning company in a creative outlet yep. in a, things that have a varied, you know, the roles that I do within that. And it just has to be winning. It's a zero sum mm-hmm. game, right? I, I'm going to be winning. Yep. So super good information. So tell us just as we close, because I'm so fascinated that we're here in your <laughs> suite in Beverly Hills. So anyone who's listening to this is not going to think that we're here talking about this fabulous, you know, company and, you know, pilot pens and this, you know, great, interesting woman and all this. So what's the coolest part of your job? And how does do things like that happen to you in the context of working for pilot pens? Well, we get to do a lot of creative things. Um, and I think the fact that, you know, we're going to an award show tomorrow is it's because what we're doing fits with the mindset of our consumer and it also fits with our overall campaign. Our spokesperson um, for our, for G2, Shonda Rhimes, has been nominated. Her shows have been nominated for so many Emmy Awards and awesome. the incredibly talented actors in her shows have also been nominated. So what we do from a marketing standpoint makes a great deal of sense. Um, you know, we have done partnerships with designers at Fashion Week because, you know, drawing and sketching is such an important part of the creative process and our friction pens that are colorful and you can erase, you know, it makes a lot of sense to be there. So, Mar- And then we also um, were on Project Runway and we will be on Project Runway again as it moves to Bravo. And, um, you know, that partnership just makes sense because pens are such a tool of self-expression. So, you know, sometimes we do get to go to some really exciting things, um, but it, it, and it's a nice benefit 
of the fact that we have campaigns that tie into the functional and the emotional benefits of the products, and then we bring that to life in a way that is emotionally engaging to consumers for that 25% that really care, this is going to speak to them. And again, you know, I get to do some pretty exciting things, but at the end of the day, it's really about the right campaign for the right product that's going to speak to the consumers in the way they need to from a functional and an emotional benefit, and then they'll understand they need that product, and then Pilot will keep growing and the brands will keep winning and being number one. Winning, 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 right? Exactly. <laughs> best part of the job is winning. It, right? best, best part of the job is winning. <laughs> I and, love it. And, and, and learning and then also mentoring because I've got a pretty amazing team. I can't take credit for their work. They're the ones that get it done. I mentor them and share some ideas, but we all like going to work every day and we're doing some pretty exciting stuff. That's awesome. That's awesome. Who knew pens were so exciting? I know. It's so sexy, right? That's what I'm thinking. Like, they're gorgeous and sexy, and I'm sitting here with my own little calligraphy pens, which I'm super excited to use. So um, thank you for that. Oh, you're I mean, so welcome. It's really, really awesome. Well, to a fellow pen enthusiast. Absolutely, yes. In fact, we were just um, talking about this at home. I am I am quite the um, pen enthusiast. We should coin that, maybe like hashtag pen enthusiast. I think we right? should. We'll do mm-hmm. that. So I want to thank you, Ariane, so much for being with us too. This has been just so much fun and so helpful in so many ways, I think, for people to see how how someone as smart and thoughtful and analytical as you ends up um, on this very interesting story, but ending up in a very creative, expressive industry and a way that you actually bring your creativity to the to the table as a winner, but you still have to, you know, there's so many things that you have to blend in. So we really want to thank you for, for sharing your time with us, but really for sharing your story and your insight. And I think it'll help a lot of people really to see how, um, how one of the ways, the many ways that you can um, delve out a career path. So thank you. You're so welcome. It's been a pleasure. Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman. All right, so let's jump into the fast track for what it is to be a consumer marketing executive. In this case, we're talking to Ariane Langsam, Vice President of Consumer Marketing for Pilot Pen. What's cool about Ariane is the intersection of science and business. She has an undergrad in biology and then went on to get the MBA, as you well know. So this is what she's talking about in terms of bridging that with problem solving. You know, the fact that I'm selling pens is a bit of a surprise, but the fact that I'm working on marketing products to people based on the attributes they deliver against their psychographic needs, you know, that makes sense to me because of the whole scientific background. I've taken, a, I take a scientific approach to everything that I do. I love creative problem solving. Remember that section on the GRE that was like, if A's next to B and C's next to Q, where's D? I love those <laughs> questions. And that's what I really do across product and research and consumer marketing, um, you know, and even, you know, a little bit with creative services and, and strategy. What I love about what she says there is um, the type of work that she does. It is creative problem solving. What she identifies as her job really is to solve problems. So as a scientist, she was a scientist. That was the intention. And then, you know, moving on. But um, really think about this as you're going, you know, talking about this. She talks about that little section on the, the GRE or the GMAT, you know, whatever test you're taking, there's something on the LSAT that's very similar. If you love that kind of stuff, the little logic and boxes and things kind of making sense and lining up and numbers and analysis, this is marketing. This is 
this is marketing. And I think if you're not in marketing, you don't understand how much analysis is involved and looking at numbers and stats. Uh, it, there's a lot of really, I think for me, like there's a lot of excitement in the numbers and what you can get. And she talks about psychographics. That's like, how do you feel about this pen? You know, when you write with this, like, you know, how great are your emotions in, in writing with this? Or how much do you, you know, need to love this pen in order to write this great novel? You know, I have friends that I know who write novels in, you know, longhand in pen. So this is all very cool stuff. And so as we're going through this fast track, just think about the kinds of problems that you want to be solving. If you identify with Ariane, this might be an area for you. So listen to her talking about, you know, solving these kind of problems. The way, you know, we go to market, um, the way we do things really is based is, is the culmination of everything that I've been doing way back to, you know, when we were in school together. Right. So, um, and even like when I was on the playground, I thought I want to be a doctor because I wanted to solve problems. Mm -hmm. I wanted to understand how things worked and I wanted to connect with people. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what I get to do just in a very different way than I thought when I was, you know, on the playground uh, when I was little. Right. So this is really important. Solving problems, understanding how things work, and then connecting with people. That is marketing. And I think she does a great job of, of illustrating that for us in that little piece. So what did she expect to do? It wasn't working for a pilot pen when she was little on the playground. So what did she expect to do? Here's that. Or scientist was what was going to kind right? of, um, you know, pay the bills and change the world and, and really make a difference. And, you know, at, finished with a, a degree in biology and um, German literature, which was, we'll go into that later okay, if you'd like. Perfect. Um, and, uh, you know, went to graduate school and uh, for neuroscience. And I finished a MS in neuroscience and psychoneuroimmunology. And that seemed like that was on the pretty straight path from where I started. And about um, halfway through that, I realized that although I loved a lot about science, it was too solitary. Um, loved the problem-solving aspects of it, but the day-to-day -day really wasn't a good fit. So interesting. And this, again, is why this podcast could be so helpful is to think about what kind of work you want to be doing and then go and try it and see if that is a fit for you or not. So eventually, Ariane decides, you know what, I... Um, obviously you get she is brilliant, like a really bright person. So if you're identifying with someone who is academically advanced, an exceptional student, you also, you know, have this kind of love the logic, the numbers, like putting things together, thinking, you know, think about if you want to really be a thinker for your work, this is a way to really synthesize information. Uh, this is a great field uh, to, to think about. So what about going to business school? She has this little intercession that um, where she, you know, met someone who had been in business school and she got intrigued by that and decided to kind of switch gears. So what did that look like in business school? I don't think I realized what that a lot of people went to biz, studied business in undergrad. Right. And, and for a lot of people, the first semester of business school was um, cakewalk. Yeah, all stuff they knew super well. And to me, it was... Um, I'd never seen any of it before. And um, as I'm, I know you know about business school, is if you get anything lower than a B, you're done. Mm -hmm. You can't move forward. You have to retake the class. You have to retake it over the summer. I, because I didn't have any business experience, could not get anything lower than a B. Otherwise, I was basically done. Right. So that gives you an idea about changing fields. And I know so, so many people think about, dream about, you know, what daydream about, oh, what if I went to this or started over or did something? There are costs to that, and 
it's great if you can find the one thing that fits from the beginning and go forward. But the cool thing about this story is that if you're smart and you just keep at it and keep your level up, then you continue to create opportunities for yourself. And that is really the key in Ariane's story is that she keeps her level up. And by that, I mean, academically, professionally, personally, her network, all those things are, are lining up. So even so, changing fields is not easy. Listen to her talk about that. I'd already changed fields. Um, and the struggle that I went through going from science to business, I mean, it was tough. Oh, I worked sure. so hard. Right. She's saying that she worked so hard and she is really bright. So this is this is kind of gives you an idea to start thinking about if you're this person who's driven, smart, ambitious, and can keep up that level of ambition, then the sky's the limit. And as I'm going to be talking about this, you'll get a sense if you are listening through the full episode, Ariane is in a CEO level executive position that like the springboard here is the next step is the CEO level. So if you want to do that, you kind of have to line up these dots consistently and again, build the network. So what about if you don't understand the culture of your new industry? So you say you're going from science and now you're going into business. You might have some bumps in the road. And I would say be prepared for that because or vice versa, right? There's just there are cultures that exist that are different in different industries. So this is my favorite story in this interview. It is so incredibly helpful. Listen to her talking about learning about even something as simple as what she was wearing to an interview. The interesting thing was when I started going out on interviews, I wasn't getting any callbacks. I wasn't getting any right. se yeah. second um, interviews. And my, somebody we went to school with, um, Trisha, we were both uh, home on Long Island. And she said, well, let, I, and I said, hey, can I, I know you're working for this consulting firm. You are just doing amazing. Can I pick your brain? Because something's not working because mm -hmm. I can talk to people. I'm personable. You know, I, I, I answered all their questions and I'm not getting a second interview. I can't figure it out. She said, okay, well, put on your interview suit, sit down. And I'm going to interview you. I said, Great. Right. Perfect. So she's sitting at uh, my kitchen table. I come down the stairs in my interview suit, you know, my cute little, my cute little outfit. And I sit down and she goes, oh no, 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 no. I go, wait, what? I didn't even said anything. She goes, mm, mm, mm. I go, okay, I just, I'm, I, what's happening? She goes, tell me about your suit. She goes, you know what this suit says to me? And I'm like, I don't know, fabulous design. I'm, I'm like so excited about the embroidery. And I'm like, look at the seam binding. I did a great look at my accessories. Exactly. Yeah. Like, look at my shoes. Like Absolutely. I am just, boom, together, <laughs> killing it, you know? And she's just, she goes, this suit says that I'm an individual. I don't care what you think. And basically what she said is, you know, no one's even getting to you. They're not getting past the suit. Well, right. So, I mean, she said that. I don't know if you can hear me on, on the recording. I literally, I'm like, whoa, that is crazy because you think she's in business school. You know, she's very savvy. She knows what she's doing. She definitely knows how to dress exceptionally well. She's a total fashionista. And then even in this, missing the mark. And it's really just not knowing what to ask. So that this is key to think if you can kind of um, maybe a lot of the help on this podcast is to be able to use other people's experiences to your advantage. This would be one of those areas where if you don't know the culture, find out the culture, you know, get some tips on the inside. She had career services, you know, she, uh, like I'm telling you, this is someone who's extremely accomplished. And this is a great story and a great uh, 
a great learning from this. So listen a little bit more about that suit story, about what that's doing for her in these interviews and why she's not getting these callbacks. I think as I was not getting second interviews, I think my confidence was starting to diminish a bit. And I think I might have been undermining myself. Mm -hmm. But also the fact that, um, you know, Trish, this person that I've known for a large portion of my life, who was very successful, you know, she didn't say, don't be you. She said, let them say, yep, she's got it. And then see you and hear you and see all the things that make you special and different. But you need to be part of a team. If mm-hmm. your suit is screaming, I don't care about the rules, they're not going to believe when you say I'm a team player. Even if you have 10 examples, you're undermining your own credibility. I don't think I realized there was a way things were supposed to be. Mm-hmm. I came from science where I've you wear seen, yeah. Birkenstocks and jeans lab and coats. a yeah. lab coat. And if you wore makeup, it was a little weird. It, absolutely. So I think that was just something I, I don't think I understood the language or, or I didn't have the currency or however you want to say that. I just didn't know. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know to ask. I mean, it's, it's such, that's such a good point. And again, I think that's my favorite just whole piece of, of the interview and her story is just setting back and looking and saying, wow, you know, this is an area that I can grow in and I and don't, don't disadvantage yourself. I think what might happen to people in a younger in your career, earlier in your career is that you, and this, I asked her, I said, you know, you're at a point where you, it's either the suit or the, the industry, right? Because you're saying I'm, I'm, this is who I am. I'm wearing this suit, but you know, great advice, great advice from our friend there saying, look, you know, just give yourself a chance, just, you know, play the game really, you know, get in there where, where the culturally acceptable attire show up and don't confuse anyone don't make it harder for them make it easy for them and that's just a really good story in this whole experience so then she does get a job she changes the suit you know gets you know gets whatever that that more i guess you know straight conservative less fashionable kind of situation goes on extra interviews and then gets some great great really good job offers. So um, listen to her talking about where to get some good uh, marketing experience for consumer marketing. Merck and Johnson and Johnson had a partnership called Johnson and Johnson Merck that had launched Pepsid over the counter. And I thought, well, if I am going to go do consumer marketing, I'm going to go work for Johnson and Johnson Merck because that's the real consumer marketing. Uh, right. And what, is that true? Because I mean, yeah. I, oh, it is. Right. I mean, P, P and G and J and J. I hope you found that to be true. Yeah, no, yes. P and, sure. P and G and J and J are the two places that if you can choose where you want to do your, learn your consumer marketing. I mean, in my opinion, yeah. those are, those I would are think the like t- some of the big, like Johnson Wax, like things like yeah. that too. Right. I thought that was, that's really important. Um, in thinking about this level, she's an executive level. There are companies that are so skilled at consumer marketing where you could learn so much. And again, this is keep your grades up, keep your network solid, wear the right clothes. This is be the person that they want to hire. It's exceedingly important that you show up as the person who can fill these roles. And by the way, if you show up that way, you're solving a problem for them. So make it easy for them to solve their problem, which is getting people into these positions by being that person. And then you can have all your analytical skills or, you know, have your expression of your suit and do all that stuff later, get in the door. I thought that was, that's really great. And these companies are incredible with the work that they do and the training that they have for, for you to then be able to do it. So listen to her and talking about that training that she's getting and having, she'll call it P&L responsibility. And if you're not familiar with that, that's profit and loss responsibility. And that really is like running a business. Listen to her talking about that. 
So at Merck, um, they did a great job of training you in each function, and eventually you would work your way up to senior director, and you'd finally have P&L responsibility. Mm -hmm. um, at J&J, when you joined a team, um, like the uh, Pepsi team, the, first, the, the newest member gets, is responsible for the budget. <laughs> and if you're, yeah. So uh, no pressure. And well, you, thank goodness, because right. at least you had some background for that. Right, but you so. end up managing a budget, and you end up... How big is the budget? It was a sizable. I would it imagine. It was in the you know, millions, and mm -hmm. add a little more onto that. But yeah, it was, um, that was a Hispanic piece only, mm -hmm. you know, but um, you end up with P&L responsibility, and it is something that you don't get until you're much higher level. In, uh, at, at a Merck or another company like that. So I love the fact that I had ownership of all aspects of the business, that I had to grow the business, and then I was responsible for the spending to grow the business. Mm -hmm. And I was looking at ROI, and I was really owning it. And to me, that was super exciting. Yeah. And if you're a leader and you are this person who is in the, you know, moving to executive level, you would love that because that is, it's kind of sink or swim. These budgets are huge. It is not easy to keep everything in line in these budgets. That's why I was like, oh, really? That's like your first job. Uh, it's it's challenging, but it's super exciting if you are if you are this person. it's Some people will fold. That's a lot of pressure. Um, so again, know yourself. That that's an incredible opportunity. So what does having that P&L responsibility do for you if you are going on, you know, continuing on with your career? No, and it's also, it's very much an up or out culture. So it's not like you just manage the budget and let's see how it goes. Like yeah. if you did not come in within 1%, that was, th things would not work out well for you. It was very much up or Which out. Which is tricky on a budget that big. You know, mm -hmm. It like, was intense, but it was yeah. great. And, you know, I learned a lot. And if I hadn't had that experience, I don't think I could do what I now do at Pilot. Right. Super important. You never know what these, this is like about continuing to volunteer for the more difficult tasks because you will only be learning from them. And again, you're learning on someone else is paying you and you're still, you know, learning. So always to be learning and growing. And then when you listen to this too, when she says, yes, it was intense, but it was great. So you are that, if you're that person, listen for yourself in that. Do you thrive in that intensity? Do you thrive in that kind of pressure? If someone's going to say, you know, sink or swim, you say, you know, you know, I'm, I'm swimming, then this, t this type of work at this level could be a great fit for you. So what does Ariane really do? What is her job? You know, she has this really fancy title, Vice President of Consumer Marketing for Pilot Pen. What does that translate into in terms of her work? And what I do is all of the consumer marketing. So I do all of the advertising, all of the PR, all of the market research, all of the product lifecycle management from what we're launching that's new, what's currently in the market, and then what we're going to be taking out of the market. And then I also work on strategy across our key accounts. Oh, I actually forgot as part of, I also manage all of creative services. I mean, that it's just a huge responsibility. And this, you know, it's not a small company. All of creative services means every ad agency, every other, if they farm out any of their own stuff, you know, if they want to make an, uh, an advertisement on TV, if they want to do a print ad, if they want to, you know, do something else outside of their company, if they don't have people in house, then she manages all those external agencies, which is also another huge job. In addition to when she's talking even just about marketing inside that again is going to be, you know, looking at numbers, looking at these what they call psychographics, you know, just different surveys on, you know, 
pen users and, you know, just getting a sense. You talked even in the beginning of this talk about how 25% of the users of the pen users are engaged, like committed users, like they really care about what they're writing with. And so then she obviously is playing to that market. And then the the other people who just need a pen, you know, that's just, it's very cool. This, this kind of work for someone who's like analytical and likes to figure stuff out and, you know, work with people and do things and then see their, their products out there. It's really exciting. And I think interesting. And then you get to, you know, she manages a large team. I think I forget what she said, you know, 16, 20 people who work directly for her. So you have management responsibility. So it's just, there's a lot of elements here that for someone who is a go-getter winner is just going to fit in really, really nicely. So all that's going along great. (laughs) But this, This is just to go back a little bit in time to say, what do you do when you have a little wrench in your life? So this is cute. This is an example of kind of what happens when things don't go the way that you thought that they were going to keep going. So I was working for Johnson & Johnson Merck, and um, I was living in Philadelphia, and my husband was a CFO, and he ended up getting his dream job offer in Jacksonville, Florida, to be VP of Business Development. And I said to him there cried. was a, I cried a lot and then I said well there you know what it's not about me it's about there has to be there's no marketing in Jacksonville so there is no possible way that I could go there because I cannot give up my career I've worked so hard and he said that makes sense he goes but can you at least just see if there's any marketing in Jacksonville and I said I'll see so I walk into work and I sit down in my boss's office and I go tell her the story and I go yep yeah. and I said there's no marketing in Jacksonville so there is no way we are going and she's like actually there is marketing in Jacksonville I go, excuse me she goes yeah Johnson & Johnson has a business down there it's called Visticon they make contact lenses not a small not like a little bit of marketing no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah major major, marketing. major major company doing extremely well and I thought, huh, well, and I was like, well, I'm sure the culture is nothing like it is here. Like, this is our own little company and this is amazing. She's like, no, actually, I know the um, CEO down there and he's incredible. He was actually my mentor. Right. This That was important, I thought, because it, you never know. You just don't know what's going to come up in your life or how your career is going to get sidetracked or hijacked or any of this stuff. So the key things there, I think, are, you know, her network, that she'd built a, a good network. She is obviously a an enjoyable employee. You know, they, they want to support her. They want to have her around. They, you know, would support a transition like this. And then she has transferable skills. You know, skills that she can really just take take from this thing, plug in here. Yes, you have the movement. Yes, you're going to have some, you know, you might have to start at the bottom a little bit again or, you know, take a lateral. You know, you might have a little bump in terms of the trajectory that you're trying to get to, but that's all part of it. And if you are in the position just to keep, again, just keeping your network up, keeping your skills up, especially, this is this is how your career just keeps evolving and getting more and more awesome. So what about another kind of bump in the road? She's had a couple of them. So here's another one of those. He said, you know, what? well, I'll, I'll help you and we'll get you a role that has non-P&L. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we'll put you in a cul-de-sac. You can have a year. You can't have more than that because we're not for all culture. You get that. We all get that. But yeah, you will give you a year. And that was in uh, October. And in January, actually, I'm, I think I took only seven months maternity leave. But so, and it was in October, and in January, they laid off everybody who didn't have PL responsibility. Oh, there you go. There you go. Yeah. And that was the strangest thing to have happen for Be- a winner. Yeah. And I've always been like, 
you know, if, as like the top 2% or a sure. TP performer, like, you know, high potential. Yeah, and, you're you know, achievement driven. Yeah. And, and all of a sudden it was just like the music stopped. Right. I mean, that this stuff happens. And so there you are, especially you're getting a sense of who Ariane is. I mean, she is someone who pretty much nails it on anything that she does. So to be in that position and, you know, this was just related to a maternity leave, maternity leave and kind of just taking backing off a little bit on responsibility for a short term and then ended up being in a position where just like, you know, blanketed with everyone else. It wasn't any personal thing. She gets, she gets out of a job and there you go. So she's, motivated by certain things and you might identify yourself again this is like look for yourself and if this is you listen to what motivates her and i hate to say it but the best way to motivate me is just like my um finance professor he said you know you have to get an a on the final why you should just drop the class now and i was like it is on. it's on it exactly. is on i am getting that a there yeah. is no and there's nothing else in this world than that a and i am getting and i'm getting an a in every single class <laughs> i am you just not only that right but i'll, and, get, and I'll that, get all a's exactly but yeah that's the thing is i get so motivated when somebody tells me you <laughs> you can't do this right this is just uh, mm, just just give up now Totally. I mean, that's just, that's totally it. So, and I think there are people who are like that and there are people who are not. So know yourself because this, um, you know, corporate America can be pretty cutthroat. It can also be very supportive and engaging. And there's like so much learning that you can get and you know, they'll send you these, you know, awesome seminars. You can work for these amazing companies. You know, you get these cool suites for sporting games. I mean, there's a lot of cool stuff that goes into working for a big corporation and with that comes like a level of expertise that, um, you know, not everybody has this, but definitely when you get in these winning circles and these higher levels of management in these very reputable companies, you just want to make sure that you, you are the person who is, who is like this, who is motivated in this particular way. I mean, it's really type A kind of, kind of motivation. That's the way I would describe it. Um, and along with that, this is another area that we're, she thrived. She had to come into a, a lower level from where she was. And so she, this is, you know, she's moving around and, you know, husband's changing jobs. And so she's changing jobs and then, you know, interviewing for different positions and listen to listen to her experience in doing that. This is actually lower than where I am right now. I took a, I did, I went backwards when I went to Johnson, Johnson, Merck. Um, how do I get from where I am to this role? And I'd like to do this in, in six months or so. Yeah. Which you don't say. But I was trying to start the interview, I think. And he said, you know what? You show me that you are a leader and, you know, you are changing the business and you are creating all these things you're saying. You like creating things that were never there before. You can show me that you're going to do that. I'll promote you in six months. And if you don't show me that, if you never show me that, I will never promote you. Totally. So she loves that. Right. So that's this interview is so interesting for so many reasons. And this this kind of work is so interesting. But you have to be this person because I guarantee you're going to be in these rooms. That's the guy in this particular example. That's the guy who hires you. Right. So if he's saying that you got to come in ready for that. And it, it really is. You know, they're they're expecting a lot in these positions. And you need to be the person who's willing to. Um, bring that and who can deliver consistently on your work. 
Okay, so what about the salary question? I thought she had a really good way of approaching the salary question because it's a trap in so many ways. You know, if you're in an interview and they say, well, what was your salary at your last job? If you're going up, you don't want to say that your salary was half of what you're trying, the job you're trying to get. And if you're going, you know, making some kind of career switching or some different moves, and maybe the salary is lower than what you had, but you're you know, doing this, some strategic reason that you're taking a lower salary, that's also a trap because either way you could stand to lose. So listen to what she has to say about the salary question. You know, they asked me certain questions like, so tell us what your salary was at your previous job. And I said, you know what, I'm not going to tell you that, but I am going to tell you that I'm very interested in this job and I'm very loyal. If you look at my career, I went from Merck to Johnson & Johnson, Merck to Johnson & Johnson, mm -hmm. which was basically a continuum. And mm -hmm. if my husband had not moved us to Jacksonville, I never would have actually left. left. I probably would have gone back to Merck. So um, I'm not job hopper. I'm not looking for, you know, um, different companies and different experiences. If you hire me, I will stay. I will do the best I can for you. I will bring all of these skill sets to bear. I, I want this job. And that's all that I'm, I'm hoping you believe that. And I'm hoping you see in me the fit that I see. Yeah, this is cool. This, um, this marketing work is very cool. And that what you listen to the way that she's doing marketing right there. <laughs> so when you listen to that clip and listen to the way that she talks, she talks in marketing language, even in her vernacular, you know, just the way that she speaks in the world is positioning kind of uh, discussion. So that's what marketing's about is about, you know, positioning your products against other products or on their own, etc. And so you end up kind of becoming that person. And I, I just find it very interesting that 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 response was delivered in that way, which is very much a marketing response. It is excellent. I thought that was really, really helpful. I learned a lot from listening to her right there. And then I'm just going to let you in on a little bit of the thinking of an executive level manager when they think about um, work-life balance and when they think about the way that they approach their work. And then again, this is gonna, going to be the way that you, they might think about you if you are you know, one of the employees underneath them. I find myself starting to default back to that second shift where I'm going to get on my laptop mm -hmm. after dinner and sit in the chair and really not be paying any attention to the movie that we're all supposed to be watching right, exactly. and together as a family, just mm -hmm. clacking away on my computer. And I, I have to stop myself, but, and really just try and be fully present. And I think we all need to do that. I mm -hmm. think I am so much happier if I can spend a few hours with my family, with my son, with my husband. And at the end of that, that's been a real pure interaction. I'm that much more energized to go to work and really put myself into that 100%. So I think that's a big lesson that I took away from it. And, you know, I think everybody would internalize those hours differently. But I think if you've got a whole bunch of people that work really hard when they're there and then go home and live their lives and then come back energized to work really hard when they're there again, there's nothing bad about that. Right. So that, I thought that was really helpful in thinking about it coming from her level. And, you know, their hours were amazing. They were something like, you know, seven to three or seven thirty to three thirty or something. And that, that was shocking to me. So what that was in the context of talking about her work and go, being able to go in in a very specific time frame and work like work when you're working and then, you know, be off and recharge and regenerate, you know, your, your whole kind of energy. Um, and then I'm going to close with this last piece, but then I'm going to tell you just you know, kind of recap what you would need to, to do if you wanted to go into a career like this. But listen to what Ariane has to say about making mistakes. 
I want to redefine mistake. Um, mis- it's I think of it more as skiing. If you're doing, if you're not falling down when you're skiing, why are you even out there? You need to push yourself. You need to try things new. If you're just being completely conservative all the time, you're never going to get any place you've never been. Mm-hmm. And to me, mistakes are okay. I actually think they're fine. And for my team, I've told them. I said, I as you're growing into your new role, I expect mistakes. I just expect you to own them and us to figure out what happened. And then I don't like repeat mistakes, Yeah, you know, but mistakes are fine. It means you're learning and growing and figuring things out. So I think I tried one thing. It didn't really work, but there were certain things I really liked about science. I liked figuring something out. I liked creative problem solving. So then I went to business school and I thought I'm going to love all the numbers. And then I realized, yeah, I love the numbers, but I like where the numbers are taking me in a creative direction. And I also really like to win. I'm very competitive. Really good to know about yourself. Ridiculous. You, were you in sports? When you, um, like, I played tennis. Okay. I played tennis. Um, I also kind of lack common sense. So I like if I would play tennis and it'd be incredibly hot and I was somebody who was way better than I was, I would never back down. Like, yes. And, you know, and then as I got older, I learned more common sense. Like, okay, you know, if someone's – you may lose the tennis game. You're not supposed to play until you actually pass, pass out. I'm <laughs> just laughing about that still because we were both – of course, going to pass out. Like that's the, that's the same. You recognize yourself in these conversations. So listen to what she said. They're very very important. Figuring something out, creative problem solving. So again, Ariane has a degree in biology. She ends up transitioning into business school to get an MBA. Gets an MBA, then ends up working at you know Merck, J and J, and then eventually Pilot Pens. Getting really good experience along the way. So what goes along with that is keeping your grades up in college, first and foremost, so that you can get into business school. But then once you're in business school, keeping up your grades and being positioned so that you can go into these companies that recruit right out of business school. If you show up, if you're going to do, I mean, we talked to plenty of people on this podcast that do different things. If you're going to do a sideline, this uh, it's going to be harder for you. It's going to be much harder for you than if you just um, can can commit to this education when you have time and the uh, fortitude to commit to it to be able to get the grades. And that's for undergrad, again, and then transitioning into business school so that you can get into a you know good, competent business school. She went to the Simon School. Um, and then you can en- end up getting recruited right out of that uh, education into one of these positions where they do have excellent training programs. They are looking for people who are go-getters, who are, are competent, who she has a science background. She could prove that she's a problem solver and, you know, able to think at high levels and think quickly and, you know, put things together, synthesize a lot of difficult information into cohesive units. So that's the kind of person that they're looking for in these particular jobs. You follow that all the way through. That's how you end up being an executive level. It's just, it's just the way it is. And then being, you know, like, likable, but the competency here cannot be understated. That is what leads in this environment at these executive levels is the competency around so many systems around your own work, around being able to manage others, around the products themselves, you know, and around your ability to continually up your your stock, if you will, and up your skills. So there you are. That is a not so quick, but full on story of what it is to be at the executive level in consumer marketing. And in this case, we were talking with our guest, Ariane Langsam, who is Vice President of Consumer Marketing for Pilot Pen. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next time. Take care of me.